Hello and welcome to Cop Cogs episode 22. And for you guys, we are changing the format slightly. So myself and Matt, uh, we're going to start talking pretty much a load of rubbish because we've had some requests and some messages from you faithful listeners out there that you would like to hear a bit more about myself and Matt and what we get up to. So we've decided that we're going to start with every show with basically about me and Matt and what we get up to, um, how our fishing habits are and general stuff like that. What do you reckon about that, Matt? I reckon that is probably the most frightening thing you've ever said to me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the podcast was to give the listeners something they can learn, not something they can completely avoid. <laughs> well, we'll see how it goes and hopefully we'll get some uh, good feedback, maybe some negative stuff as well, but hey, we'll throw that stuff in the bin. Oh, do you know what? Everyone's entitled to an opinion. You know, social media and uh, podcast platforms, you know, everyone's got, you know, we've had good reviews, we've had bad reviews. At the end of the day, we've read them all and listened to them all and uh, and uh, you and I chat about every single review we have. So I'll just say keep bringing them on, even the negative ones, we'll use them as a positive. Um, you know, we got one on the, we got one on social media the other day, didn't we? That uh, uh, we made a few made a few alterations off the back of it. So um, you know, it's all positive. You know, we, we we love constructive criticism, don't we? It's how we improve. It's how we learn. It's how we evolve. Yes, it really is. So where do we start with this? Really, have mate? you been fishing recently? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> I have um, at my have local. You? I have. Not not massively recently, probably a week or two ago. Nice. Had a couple of pasties out. Um, my local club define, water. What, what do you define as pasties? Res thirties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not quite, mate. About five, ten pounds. That's probably good pasty size, isn't it? So I've been pulling a couple of them out. It's just it's a great place to know your rigs are working. Uh, everything's tickety boo. But it's no, there's no night fishing on the lake uh, that I fish. Yeah. It's very local to me. It's literally five minutes down the road. I can even pop in on the way home. Because basically what I've got, I have... Yeah, basically what I have, I have everything in my van. Um, I have some fishing gear that I always keep in there with some bait. So it's just so handy. If I get a bit of time, the missus is out with the kids. I've got a couple of hours to, uh, to go down the lake than I do. But the only thing, like I said, there's no night fishing. So that's the only downside but to be honest i wouldn't really want to night fish it because there's lots of little fish in there and you don't want to be waking up all night by five ten pound carp do you really Um, so not not for me personally no it's a lovely little location um and yeah that's just pretty much where i'm going at the moment i'm still looking for a water where i've where i can fish night fish um i'm still in the process i've been Doing a bit of research, talking to a few friends of mine who who know the waters that, that I'm looking at fishing. So, yeah, it's still up in the air where I'm going to go. It has to be affordable, has to be at the right distance, and good for me. I'm I'm not in a place at the moment where I can spend an hour and an hour and a half driving. You and I fall into that, you know, the the average carp angler, don't we, these days? You can maybe get out once or twice a month if they're lucky. Got a few children, got got mm-hmm. another half, got a job. You know, we haven't got lots of money to throw at it. We haven't got lots of money to throw at bait. So we are, as much as we want to get out, as much as we can, we are looking for that convenience, aren't we? We're looking for that, you know, where can I go that's affordable that's still going to give me a bit of bit of what I want from my fishing kind of thing. 
and that's part of the challenge these days and i'm sure a lot of people listening can resonate with that yeah i just find syndicates so expensive i mean especially down my way i'm i'm in cambridgeshire area and i've lived around this area pretty much most of my life and it's the prices around here have gone gone crazy um local to me perhaps a lot of the listeners would would have heard of the wall pack monk's pit um that's down around god manchester way um you have St Ives Lakes, you have the Fen Drayton Complex, and if you go a bit further out into the Fens in Cambridgeshire, you also have Home Fen. But the best lakes in the area are mostly syndicates, and I just can't justify paying £500 for a ticket for £500. I mean, the Woolpack, I think, is £500 for one lake, um, which is a beautiful venue. It's absolutely stunning. I fished it around about... 25 years ago 20 years ago before it was a syndicate and before they had a decent stocking program but even then it was absolutely idyllic location it really is you got seven or eight lakes there um and each ticket you can have i think you can have one lake yeah i think number seven and then some of the other tickets you can have all the lakes but i think if you want all the lakes it's it's over a thousand pounds so i can empathize a couple of my mates from a couple of decent syndicates down my way I live around the Surrey area and uh, some of the syndicates around here are, you know, they're paying sort of five, six hundred quid for a syndicate. Um, a mate of mine has joined a lake uh, near, near where I live. It's about four acres. It's got a lot of carp in it up to about 30 pounds, but you're, you're pretty, pretty much banging out doubles. Beautiful fish, like dark, gorgeous fish. And, you're, you know, you're going to get some bites. But, you know, you're talking 330 quid for that and you can't night fish it. You know, that's a lot of money, a lot, a lot of money. So... I've been out as well recently. I've been out twice since we last recorded with Bill. Um, okay. So yeah, it's quite it's quite funny actually because um, I, as some of you guys, especially the guys that follow us on Facebook, know I write the odd article for Talking Carp. Not because I've got anything special to say, just because I can move my fingers across a board pretty quickly. It's like watching a, you know, an infinite amount of monkeys. You know, eventually something is going to come out that makes a bit of sense. Um, and I, my last article I wrote for Talking Carts out at the moment um, is around what you can learn from a blank and, um, you know, things I've taken from the podcast, things I've taken from chatting to you, chatting to the guests, um, and, um, and how can I put that into my fishing, learning, from, learn, learning you know, and, and improving on the blank. And uh, as, as that came out, I've, I've had two sessions and we've absolutely been hauling. Um, we've had... Um, remember now 15 20 carp out in two two little day sessions me and my two sons and um and uh, a friend of mine came down and had a few as well and my son george has had a new pb of 19 pound common which uh, is absolutely brilliant we um we stalked that out on a on a little dog biscuit on the surface which is fantastic crept up on it you know i was fishing just behind a bush and um, you know, flicked a bait out and dragged it in front of a couple of uh, good size, good size carp. And George, my eight-year-old, and and Louis, my four-year-old, got to sit there, and they were brilliant, very quiet and very patient. And within a couple of minutes of casting out, they got to see a, this big common come up and hoover in, um, hoover in a DT bait, um, cold water green beast infused uh, dog biscuit, and uh, and it was on a little sort of six foot seven foot spinning rod with a little akuma little akuma reel and um 
I literally struck into it, made sure the clutch was set nicely, handed it to my son, and he went water skiing, which is fantastic. <laughs> Shortly after that, my four-year-old, it was my four-year-old's go, and he caught a seven, eight-pounder off the surface as well. Wow. So, yeah, great. So, yeah, we had a few out that day, off the bottom and off the top. And then the last time we went, which was uh, uh, Saturday just gone, or Saturday before that, um, couldn't catch them off the top to save our bait, save our lives. It was really strange. You know, same conditions. Couldn't get them off the top for love nor money. And, um, you know, went on the bottom, fed up a few areas, went on the bottom. And then at four o'clock, I had my first bite. And we were off late by about half six. And in that period of time, I think we had 10, 12 carp up to about, we had a 15, 15 16 pound ghosty. It was lovely. Amazing. So, um, not the big whoppers I want from the big lake, you know, not the not not the, not the massive carpo after, but for for sport and fun with little ones and just testing out a few rigs and playing with some baits and some presentations, it's um fantastic sport. And for the for the little ones to see carp actually take their bait, it doesn't half um, add to the excitement and draw of it. Really oh, does to creep I... up on your prey. The old hunter gatherer routine. I think they'll they'll have that. I mean, you can be four-year-old five six yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or 66 it's yeah. gonna it's, it still it still has that effect of where yeah. you know, taking it off the surface there's probably no no more exciting fishing in, in the carp fishing world than than that floater fishing uh, it really is rewarding and to be taking it to little ones and you know a, a word of advice i would imagine to all the listeners out there i've got I've got a few little ones that i plan to take fishing very soon one's the lanny He's only six and uh, and four, little girl. Mm. But uh, the key is when I will take them, I will not be doing any fishing. I'll be concentrating solely on them and, and trying oh, yeah. to get them fish. Right. Um, because their, their attention span, as most people know, is very short. And you need to find a water where you can get a fish relatively quickly. There's no point taking them maybe to your local syndicate where you've been trying to bust a fish out for days. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't happen because they will soon switch off and say, "Well, yeah. this is a load of rubbish. Can we do something else?" Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my advice. Just take them to a good run to water. I mean, again, you don't even have to take them to a carp lake. You can get them on on the rivers, just netting out little fish just to start well, with. I keep I keep seeing. Um, I, th- I don't know if it's still at the moment, but um, angling directs every now and again. I've seen it. They, I've seen them do it twice in the last I don't know six to nine months where they do a promotion where if you go in store and I think you've got your little one with you and you spend over 20 pounds, they will give you a whip uh, with, a, with a float um, and, and, and rig set up. And it's literally, a, you loop, loop to loop it onto the, um, onto, the, um, onto the whip and literally you're playing around with getting your depth and you're away. And it's such easy fishing. Like my, four, my four-year-old can use the whip, you know, a little single maggot on the end. And, um, you know, he's, he's whipping out some silvers and some small perch, and he thinks he's absolutely mustard. They love it. And that's a really good distraction while you're waiting for the, the carpies to come along. Yeah, that's a good idea, that one. And I yeah. just thought I'd mention, I didn't mention it earlier, is that we've, we've got the guest coming up, um, our guest, Paul Booth. Um, it's a great little interview that we do with him. He tells us all about the Ebro and fishing in Spain and the things to do and look out for um so that's a really good listen that'll be coming up at the end of our little chat so you won't be missing out on the guest it's uh it's a really good listen you're tuned in you're not stuck with us 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you won't be putting. A, yeah, when you when you see like two and a half hours on this episode, it's not going to be just us for two and a half hours. <laughs> don't don't turn off. Yeah. I just think it, it, it's whenever you whenever you and I whenever you and I chat about carp fishing, and it's one of the things I love about carp fishing. I've seen so many people comment about it. Um, you know, in a funny sort of way because of COVID, like you and I have had all these grand plans to go fishing together and do things, but actually. We haven't met up, have we? We've got to know each other through carp fishing, and we're just two guys that just love to chat about carp fishing. And I think the first time we chatted, I think we spoke on the phone for about three hours, didn't we? And all of a sudden, we're like, you know, your wife thought I was grooming you. My yeah. wife thought I was groom. You were grooming me. We, they both <laughs> thought there was a, some kind of internet issue. Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my wife's on the phone to her friends. Like, what Matt, what's Matt up to? He's in the other room getting groomed by some bloke from Cambridgeshire. And, uh, but I just, I, you know, that, that's one of the things I, I, I just love about carp fishing is just you can just, just everyone, that common denominator, and you can just have a chat and, you know, everyone's got a, everyone's got a, an opinion or everyone's got a, a thought or, you know, it just galvanizes that mutual, that mutual admiration for the sport, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It's. I mean, I've got colleagues at work that I've got to know really well through through fishing, and there's just them conversations. You can you you'll be on the way somewhere. I've got colleagues at work. As soon as I start talking about fishing, roll their eyes and walk yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, there's a few of them as well. But yeah, 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 you end up being late for somewhere, or you just start talking, and, and you just keep talking and talking. And I'm sure every angler out there is exactly the same. It's yeah, just 100%. such a such a leveler. It really is, and. Uh, I don't know if there's many other things like that in life um, that can just bring two two complete and utter strangers together. Yeah, but yeah. it seems a bit weird though, because I think maybe when you're on the bank, it's it's not as um, pronounced. Because obviously everyone's a fisherman when they go angling um, yeah. on the lake. But that sort of you do have chats and and speak to people. But perhaps you're a little bit more concentrating on your game whereas i think if you're outside of a lake and you start talking about fishing with someone it, it, it can just go on for hours and hours and hours yeah 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 100 percent, mate 100 percent. and the other thing i've been up to is planning my planning my 40th that's uh, my 40th in october oh is it? yeah and uh, like my wife and my parents you know sort of yeah you know, what can we get you what can we get you and i've um started playing with the idea of going off and maybe doing a, a cart fishing tuition with um you know a named angler i think that would be absolutely brilliant so yeah i'm uh, thinking maybe sort of going to linear and uh, maybe doing because i've never fished linear and uh, maybe going to linear you've never fished linear never fished linear no no i'm never fished linear. well you know, you know that not, linear. uh hour and a half yeah, exactly yeah i've just having like the patience for busy waters. One of the reasons I'm on the syndicate I'm on now is um, because it's not a heavily, not a heavy syndicate. You know, they've closed the membership for four years. So when you go down, there's always swim choices. Yeah. And yeah, the fishing there are beautiful. So mm. and there's some biggies. Um, I, I, I've done, I've done the busy waters. Um, there's a lake near me that I was on for a couple of years while the kids were young. It was an easy one for me to get to and go to, and uh, went down there and had a, few, had, a, had a lot of nice fish out of there. Um, but that was busy, and you know, and I, like, like Willow Park as well. What a great fishy that that is, and, and the owners there are fantastic. But what I mean is, you, you could be sort of in your swim, and 
all of a sudden there's a lead come flying across you. And uh, Berry Hill, Berry Hill is another lake that's near me, which again is another day to, a, a busy, not a sort of syndicate, you know, you have to sign up to the carp, carp club, carp, um, carp membership to be able to fish it. And again, Berry Hill is another, can be really, really busy. And uh, you can be fishing as soon as you start having a few runs, you know, it's, you, you look out in front of you, it's lead, lead, lead. And you just, uh, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I've got a stressful job. Um, you know, I work in healthcare during a pandemic. Um, you know, every day at work is there's, there's always a problem. There's, there's always stresses. And when I do eventually get the opportunity to go fishing, I want to go somewhere that's on my terms, you know, and I want to go somewhere where I can switch my brain off yeah. and not, not have to be worrying or, you know, uh, building that. Like the last time I went to the lake that's just down the road from me. And when I thought that's it, I'm done. I'm finding somewhere else. Is uh, I've been spending the whole day building a swim up, whole day building a swim up, whole day building a swim up. I see the carp moving in on the area that I've been building up, and then all of a sudden, from you know, quite a few swims away, I see a lead come off the back of my spot. And you just think, you know, I know everyone have an opinion on etiquette and things like that, and you just think, and it, this is one. This is one of the bailiff's sons, and you just think there's absolutely no point in me now having a shout. There's absolutely no point in me getting grumpy about this because I'm the one that's going to lose my ticket. Um, so yeah, I just packed up, and that was the last time I went on that lake. Oh, you didn't decide yeah. to like catapult some boilies at him or anything like that, no? No, because knowing me, I would probably have taken his eye out. Because yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, you know, I've. Um, and the, the problem is, it's being six foot seven and 18 stone and very bearded and bald and tattooed. You know, when I growl, people tend to automatically, you know, try and put me away for GBH before anything's even happened. Just because, you know, yeah. <laughs> when I do growl, it, it tends to come across quite, um, quite, quite in an intimidating fashion. Oh, but you're just a soft old pussy cat inside, aren't you? On the inside, yeah. An emotional old lady. On the outside, yeah, I'm, you know, I look like Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, mate. I wouldn't go that far. Yes, yeah, just alone before <laughs> surgery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going back on that um, tuition, mate, who's, who are you looking at? So I'm fully aware that obviously we've we've had lots of conversations with lots of people that do tuitions. Um, so... Just before you go on the person you want the tuition, why why do you want a tuition? You've been fishing for donkey's years. One, because um, you, I, you're never too old to learn. Uh, two, because you're never too old to learn. Three, because I love my carp fishing. And, you know, there's so many, uh, so many carp anglers that I look up to. And I love... Um, I love fishing. Like um, just watching my friend the other day when we were down there, and my friend Kev. He's an excellent carp fisherman. He's not associated with any companies, but he catches carp anywhere he goes. And he's had he's had the A team out of our big syndicate seven times over. And he's just a fantastic carp angler. And I just learning from him and watch like watching the way he was uh, floater fishing and building a swim and building a hit. Just fantastic. And the patience and things and the way he was just chopping and changing and making the little tweaks until he got it right. You just got, I'm just in awe of people that, that, you know, think like that. Um, don't get me wrong. I do do that, but, um, 
um, you know, I just I just love watching other people do it. I love, you know, I love Adam Pennin's methodology. I love the way he thinks and 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 his deep thinking. But is there any anything specifically that you want to learn? I just want to watch someone who is prolific and very good at what they do. Watch how they present a bait. You should come fishing with me, Matt. That's that's all you need. I tell you what, if you come fishing with me, yeah. you will learn the ways of the blank. That's what will happen. I've just written an article on that about that in Talking Cart, mate. I've learned that already. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so yeah, and then like, there's Joe Turnbull does uh, tuitions. And yeah. I, that is one of my favourite podcasts to record, chatting to Joe. Um, we've chatted with some fantastic guests up to now, including this number 22. And Joe's knowledge about baits and like his 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 thought process around rigs and presentations and things like that just again just opened my mind and and I just I just love that and I love watching Ian Russell and, and how he can just catch carp anywhere he goes like he's just good at everything he does like he's good at zig fishing he's good at method feeder fishing he's good at PVA bag fishing and that's what I want to do is I want to go and do do 24 hours and just imp- I, I can do I can do lots of things quite well. And I just want to step it up and do lots of things a bit better, like, you know, how to present a rig better, how to fill the lead in different scenarios better, how to, you know, you turn up, you're in a, you're in this swim, what's in front of you? And just just listen to how someone talks through the problem in front of them and just yeah just i just think this i just think you're never too too old too young i love carp fishing so much i um and then i I think towards the end of it whoever i'm with i'm gonna bump them on the head and steal all their gear (laughs) no i'm not i'm not please the disclaimer i'm not (laughs) you need to recoup the cost don't you really (laughs) well it's a it's a it's a birthday thing and it's definitely something i'll remember for the rest of my life because it's something I, i i love and i'm really passionate about it I've just oh. had the keep your voice down by my wife, so I'm really sorry, everyone. I'm just going to oh, turn the side her down. I'm not upsetting her. Flames coming out of her ears at the moment. Is it happy coming out of her head. Oh, middle finger. Happy wife. For so anyone that knows my wife, she's a beautiful angelic little thing. Um. <laughs> so um. So yeah. So I have. Again, this is no. Put me on a spot here, Rez. I'm going to piss someone off, aren't I? Um, I've approached Ian Russell and Ian's got back to me and we've got a date booked in not long after my 40th and I'm going to go 24 hours on linear with the man himself. Mr. Ian Russell. Mr. Ian Russell. So yeah, I had a chat with him um, uh, last week, week before. So I had a chat with him and yeah, we've got a date booked in and um, it's all, all good to go. And uh, he's told me about the sort of, you know, what, 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 you know, he said we'll have a catch up a couple of weeks before, um, you know, and uh, I can't wait. Just can't wait. So, like I was saying, I was like Joe Turnbull. I could have quite easily done a tutorial with Joe um, and I probably will in the future because I, I just want to, you know, even if I just sit on the bank with him and have a coffee and pub chuck the rods out, just Joe's knowledge of bait and um, his early writings for Cartworld. Uh, when Tim first sort of brought Cartworld out and Joe used to do that bait section, I'd love to explore his mind a bit more around bait and like just going for a walk around the lake with Penning and just 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 taking the lid off his head for a little while and just 
listening to Penning, but um, I mean, mate, linear Ian Russell, you know. Do, do you know what you like? You haven't talked about uh, that. No, 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 no. And to be honest with you, if he turns around to me and says, we're going to do this puddle over here or whatever, like, I'm just going to pitch up and, t- and do it exactly as I'm told and yeah. drink lots of coffee and have a bloody good chat and, and just learn as much as I can. Can't oh. wait. Really excited. Really excited. If you can get on Hunt's. Get on Hunt's. Hunt's yeah. Corner. That's a fantastic. I, that's my favourite. I uh, I know I know he's done tutorials on... Um, well, he does tutorials on all the lakes up there, doesn't he? All, mm. the, all the day the lakes. So. Yeah. I will... I'm going to go blank canvas wherever he tells me. Mm. and just, hey, I'm just going to enjoy myself. I'm so excited about it. Do you know how long you get? It's 24 hours. So you get to sleep with Ian Russell as well? Yeah, one bivvy, one bed share, <laughs> one sleep system. I didn't know that was thrown in. That's... See, Ian's in our, Ian, Ian follows us. Ian, Ian's in our, in our group, and obviously we've done podcasts with him, and he's a friend of the show. And, um, you know, I'm very, we're very grateful to Ian for the time he gives the show and, um, and the support he gives us. I just hope he doesn't listen to this, because I yeah, will probably right. get some abuse and probably won't be going on the tutorial with Ian Russell. But yeah, mega excited, mega excited. So that's um, that's that's, um, that's my fortieth birthday present from my mum. That sounds great. I mean, for me, I'd love to do um, I'd love to do a tuition with Terry Edmonds, just because my casting. Yeah, I'd mate. Just, yeah. I'd just think a tuition with Terry would be yeah. um, would make my fishing just add another dimension. I can cast pretty well. Um, it would it would add another string to my bow. That knowing if I could improve my cast by let's say another i mean hopefully by about another 30 40 yards i, I can improve it myself i know there's some tweaks i can do with my line and just certain things you can do just keep practicing your cast i have tried practicing my cast in fields and that type of thing which probably a lot of anglers out there may have tried just to <laughs> funny get it. you should say, funny you should say that is um i've recently uh changed my reels I had um, I had uh, the old, really old, original um, long cast bait runners, Shimano long cast bait runners. Love them. Vowed that I'd never get rid of them. Uh, obviously, I'm not flush for money, and um, I was getting a little bit fed up being down the syndicate and not quite being able to hit the fish where they were showing. You know, they were if they were showing at you know one twenty, one thirty. I, um, you know, I was not hitting them. And then I've got very, very good rods. You know, the rods are up to the challenge. You know, I've got Harrison, Harrison Torrexes, you know, um, built by Mark Tunley. You know, they are really good rods. And I just, I just found that I just couldn't get the reels. And like I say, it might, I know a lot of it's down to technique, but at six foot seven, when you are cracking, you know, a three to four ounce distance, distance lead, you know, you should be getting a little bit more out of it. And I just think, uh, I just think the, the spool, the, the line wasn't coming off the spool the way that I really wanted. So I had a little look around what budgets I could, um, the budget suited me. I've been told I forget for noise. What budget suited me. And I settled on the, uh, the Daiwa crosscasts, uh, the 45 mm. QDs. And um, so I've put I've put some I've, I, I did my research around the reels, got those, and I put some I put some Gardner line on it. 
I've been doing like doing a bit of research around line and the, and the Gardner line was seemed to suit what I was trying to achieve. And um, went down a little late recently, and I was I was flicking out, I was flicking out to a, to, a, to, a, to, a, to a corner of the lake with my old reels. I could flick it, and I would nicely hit the clip. Or if I was not, if I if I wasn't, or or I could stop it and hit my spot very accurately every time, fit it down, whatever. And I haven't tested these reels with my rods and and all the new lining spools on the on the big lake, but <laughs> recently had a had a gentle flick and had to stop the lead very quickly in midair because I was about to clear the hotel at the back of the lake. <laughs> so I think I think I might have added a few yards on. Um, I think I might have added a few yards on my casting, but I can't. I can't wait to actually crack a lead and see how far I can get it. Oh, okay, well, that's interesting because I would have gone down the um, to improve my cast. I'd have gone down the rod route if you were my, gonna... my rods. My rods are three and a half. Uh, I got uh, three and a half test curve Harrison Torxes, and they they are fantastic. Their performance is brilliant. Uh, you know, fifty mil butt rings. They're geared up. They are geared geared up. You know, they've got a very quick recovery on them. They are geared up to um, stick a lead out at a decent length. The the line coming off the spools of these these old long casts wasn't coming off smoothly. You could hear it. You know, the line guard wasn't brilliant, and and the spools were quite old, and 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 the retrieval on them wasn't that smooth. So the line wasn't coming off smoothly, and I think that was slowing it down in the air. Um, I I even um, I even. You know, re-spooled them and spent quite a lot of money on some different lines and things like that because I was using a particular line at the time, which is the worst line I've ever used. I'm not going to name the products. I'm not into slaughtering people, but I would never touch that line ever again. And I, I re-spooled on using Berkeley Continental because it's a you know pretty solid, pretty solid bulletproof line. Um, and and um, I put I got that in quite a low diameter as well because you know it's got a very high breaking strength. And I was smashing it with. You know, like I say, a good a good sized distance lead on, and I just I just couldn't get it out there. And I said to my mate, who's got uh, he's got uh, Dio Baziers, and um, oh yeah, uh, yeah, oh, yeah he's got little Dio Baziers, more money than brains. <laughs> and he had a little he had a little two ounce dumpy lead on, you know, nothing special. And uh, I, I I had a crack on. He's got Harrison Harrison Cabrera's. And uh, Bazier's and um, same test curves, my rod, same spec as my rod. Just his, my Torex, and his is Cabrera. But he's got the Bazier's, and I, I, I crunched this two ounce lead, and it, I think it's probably still going now. Um, you know, I, I, it went a long, long way. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started. I made the decision that the common, you know, I tried to take, I tried to, you know, I, I compared the lines, I compared the rods, and I compared the reels, and unfortunately for me. And I could see that the retrieval on the line just wasn't right. I could see the way the spool was sitting on it. So that was my amateur humble judgment. Is I, you know, I, and I, I think I've been proved right because these um, these Daiwa crosscasts, the retrieval on them is absolutely, you know, they've got the slow oscillation retrieval, and the line sits on the reel so much better. Slightly more elongated spools, slightly deeper. The line just is, it sits on there perfect. And uh, like I said, I gave one, I gave one of them a gentle flick the other day and nearly cleared a hotel. So um, yeah. I, th I think I might have been right, but proof would proof, you know, time will tell. Oh, no, proof, proof, proof is in the old pudding. Yeah, if it's going your way. Um, yeah, I played, uh, with, I played with lots of reels actually in the build-up to buying those. I was looking around 
for what I because I, obviously I partexed in my my Shimano's at uh, uh, Palo Anglin in um, near where I live in um, in 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 Godalming, and um, yeah, they they partexed a bin for me. So I was looking at a sort of a, a budget, you know, a reel, and um, I was looking at the somewhere between the sort of the cross casts pen affinities, but like you can't get pen affinities for love or money. Or I was looking at the Akuma 8000s. They're good reel. Really good mm. reel. They're built to last. Slightly heavier than a Daiwa crosscast. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're aesthetically really nice. They've got a lovely retrieval on them. Really, really like kind of click. Quick drags. Really nice, the Akuma 8Ks. Really, really nice. Because uh, I, I know I know Penning used to use them, and he, he, he's often said it's the best reel he's ever used. And he's obviously used a few reels, that chap. And... Um, yeah, and the, and the pen affinities are lovely old reels as well. They're built to last, really nice. But I settled on the cross casts. You know, that was work nice, work work right for me. So, so would you say? I mean, that's mid range price. I would take mid range reels. Is that yeah, fair? yeah, yeah. I th- I'd say it's a mid range. I said I think if I'd gone with the pens, that would have been slightly more. But I, I couldn't get them. And to be honest with you, after playing with the cross casts for a while, um, I really like them. The Akuma 8Ks, I would say to all listeners that are about to buy a front drag big pit reel, try try an Akuma 8000 before you touch anything else. Uh, they're about 80 quid a reel, and uh, uh, they're fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Just for me, my, 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 my choice was purely driven by they were heavier than the cross casts, and um, I'd just come from a heavy reel. So my 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 mindset was I wanted to go something with a bit lighter, because um, my my aim was around um, casting and, and uh, being able to get to the distances I wanted to. If money wasn't an object, you would have gone for the Dower Basis. I take it tournament Basis. I, I would have gone for a Basis. <laughs> yeah, I think most. I would. I would. Have, I, would, have, I, would have, I would have. I think everyone, most carp fishermen, would, wouldn't they? I mean, there's a few people. That, you know, a few people that. You know the purist maybe that wouldn't because that was what everyone would do. Uh, but for me, you know, like I said, my mate, my mate's got three and they're beautiful, and the performance is just out of this world. I know some people have got, you know, some of the some of the, some of the Shimano Tech Tech mags and um, and uh, and a few of the other Shimano reels, and they absolutely swear by them versus Daiwa. I love Shimano. I've got nothing bad to say about Shimano. They're good reel. Um, you know, one of the reasons I didn't go for the for the Shimano 1400s, which is the sort of your cross comparable with the Diver crosscasts, is I know a guy that blew a couple of them up um, over at Parco de Brenta. So uh, that was the, the only thing that stopped me looking at them. And, you know, me being the pain in the bottom that I am, um, I've done Shimano a few times over. So uh, mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, I'm going to give Diver a go. So. Mm. Dyer ago, and so far I've used them twice and put put fish on the bank both times. So uh, That's good, hopefully, mate. hopefully they've got a bit of Irish four leaf flavour in them. Yeah, I mean I've got the uh, we're going on reels. Um, I've got the Fox EOS. See, 12, I, like, I think they look, I think they look, they look sexy. The twelve thousand FSs. Before I got these reels, I've always been a Dower and. 
and I thought, well, I want to get and I had some old entos, not the new entos, the old entos. I wanted some new entos, but they're yeah, just far job. far out far out my price range. Fantastic reels. Three hundred and fifty quid a reel, aren't you? Yeah. Um that's not for me. I I haven't got that money to throw at it. No, it's it's one day, mate. One day I'll, I'll buy some. Uh, I'll buy some bases. Buy some bases for me, thank you. Yeah, um, ladies and gentlemen, you heard that. <laughs> yeah. That is that. Don't you go editing that out, mate. Yeah, that's going straight out, mate. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and they they've been really good. I mean, the reason why I bought these reels, I wanted to go back because my first ever reels, I had some Shimano Aero bait runners. Yeah, I think so, we were... uh, my first ever proper official carp reels, if you could call yeah, them that. Yeah, the Aero GT. I had the four five hundreds, yeah. and I had the five five hundreds. I had the five five hundreds. Yeah. yeah, and then I had the ten thousand XT XGX, blah blah blah, the twin handle ones. Yeah, and then from them, and they obviously bait runners. So from then, I went to the Dalrentos little front front drag system, um, which were fantastic. And I just fancy some new reels because they were second hand when I bought them. And I thought, right, I'm going to sell these, and I just want to buy some brand new reels. Yeah. Um, and the only thing I could really afford were these. Well, uh, I say really afford. They've actually gone up in price of recent for some reason, and they've been great. I do miss, even though I've got used to using the bait runners again, because that's why I bought them. So I thought I'd like to get some bait runners uh, with my next set of reels. And even got the bait runners. I can probably live without the bait runners again if I get another set of reels. Um, bait runners won't be on my priority list. They are handy. I think they're more, they're better for when you're, what's the word? I wouldn't say setting up, but they're just quite easy to, I know you've got the, the quick, what's it called? QD, is it QD systems? Quick drag? Yeah. Where it only takes half a turn to tighten and un unlock the drag system, which sort of, nullifies one of, good, one of the good things i like with the bait runners which i think is what you're trying to allude to is you can have all your clutches preset and then once you click it the click the bait runner setting in you're yep. already on clutch mode so you can only you can just worry about you know direction of fish connection if you're on a front drag you're you're tightening striking and then potentially adjusting unless you're a back wine merchant yeah but i don't mind that adjustment I, i'll always have that adjustment even when i'm whatever playing fish that i'm playing um you don't know the size of that fish so you need to adjust your drag as you're playing yeah. the fish so but the front is that slight from from tightening to striking yeah so to, to adjusting based on there is that there's for me at the yeah, moment I'm mean, sure yeah, it's yeah. Practice, there's that slight time elapse versus bait runners mm. where i'm where i'm more into the fish if that makes sense but yeah, i think yeah. that i think I you mean yeah i think that, i think that comes with um practice because uh if it was that much of an issue why is nearly every single pro and uh big name fisherman in the circuit using front drag reels mm, yeah and i've got um my rods are nothing special they're just some fox talk rods um they're a good mid-range rod they're they're the ones that sit between i don't know what would they sit between in the fox range below the horizons and Better than the Warriors and sort of I think, I think, um, I, I think, I think Fox do some fantastic value rods. Mm. I, think, I mean, they're great I think, rods. I think, I think, I think the performance you get out of them for the money you spend. You know, I got luck. I got luck. I said I got Harrison Torres. I got lucky with them. I went to, mm. uh, I went to a shop in, God, I don't know, Chessington or something like that, uh, with my old man, and I was, I, I was, um, I was looking to spend. I was actually looking at the Fox rods. 
you know, for the for the for the for the budget I had, I was looking at the Fox Rods. And the guy turned around to me and he said, Oh, we just had these in that were potentially in your budget. And he bought he bought the team, bought the Torexes out. And he said the guys used them once and parked them in for something new. And I was like, Yep, done, mine. <laughs> Yeah. I just got lucky, I, you know. I, I but I was looking at I was looking at fo- foxes before I bought the Torexes. Mm. I love my Torexes. I, I, mm. I, I, I won't be getting rid of them in a hurry. I mean, I don't. I've got no idea how successful them fox talks were. Um, how many anglers if they if they flew off the shelves or they didn't do very well? I have no idea. I just know they're very good rods. They've got great action in them. Great for range. Great at close range. Just. I mean, they're just really, really good. I've lost, haven't lost many fish. I don't lose many fish with them. That's got to be a testament to the rods that I'm using. So it'd be nice to hear if anybody else has got Fox Talks and how they've got on with them. I've stick, had them for a, stick it on, uh, stick it on social media. Yeah, um, I've had them for a few years now. And before them, I had the Fox Warriors, the first ever Mark ones, which I still possess. One rod. I used to obviously have a set of three. I sold two of them. I kept one for sentimental stakes. Um, it's just, uh, it's a learning change, curve. Sorry, I was going to say changing the subject yeah. slightly before we uh, bring the guest out and put people out of their misery listening to us is um, the canny people among us might realise that we haven't done a competition with DT for the first time in a few weeks off the back of Bill's podcast. And as Rez is aware, DT Baits, if you go to DT Baits social media, you'll see they've got a brand new product coming out soon. And I have it on very good authority what this product is. It's very exciting. And I also have it on very good authority that very soon our next competition with DT is going to be at the time of release of this new product and I've been told that my my next bait order will have arsenic and soap in it if I spill the beans so um, I I won't say anything Um, but Rez and I uh, are going to be launching a competition soon potentially out you know on the next podcast or outside the next podcast for DT's latest latest product launch and you'll be uh, you'll be vying for the chance to win something that a lot of people wouldn't have got their hands on yet so uh keep your eyes yeah. folks yeah and, uh, yeah stay tuned um yeah again to, uh, the lovely fenton the lovely dt and um for the for the support you give us you know that you, you make a big difference and speaking yeah. of D, speaking of dt have you seen who's back out on the bank after all these years see who's back out on the bank hauling Oh, don't tell me it's Neil. Yeah, Neil's back on the bank. Oh, he's, he's, he's got the, he's, he's dusted the rods out, mate. He's going to ruin it for everyone, isn't he? Yeah. Really? So, um, if anyone had, if anyone doesn't know who Neil is, to save time, listen to the listen to our podcast that we did with Fenton and Neil around bait. Um, DT baits have been going since 1988, and Neil's been with them since then. But Neil. It's the chap that, in the space of seven days, was it, or a, a, a weekend, caught Mary, Mary and Heather, was it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. literally in like forty hours or, or a week or something like that, and uh, phenomenal carp angler. Phenomenal. Yes, I think his picture yeah. album. I think he, we give Terry Hearn a run for his money. Yeah, I think uh, 
Neil is uh, he's not um, a social media guy, so that's why these no. listeners probably don't see or hear much of Neil because he's not yeah, that way inclined. Yeah. He is back and he is hauling. He's yeah, back he's and he's hauling. He's, he's, he's already got a thirty on the bank, and I think the bloke's only had his rods out of the bag for three. And minutes. I think we might be having him on again. We are having him on again. So yeah. Neil's going to come on, and Neil is just going to talk to us about his carp fishing, and um, hopefully. We are going to be able to get him to talk about that very, very famous double catcher um, and how he did it and, and, mm. and how it works. And knowing Neil and the modest man he is, he'll probably just turn around and say, cast me rods out and caught two giant forties. But um, hopefully we can get a bit more detail out of him than that. But um, I can't Pro- wait. Prolific angler. He's oh, absolutely man, prolific. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, very what good. a lovely, lovely man. What a he lovely is. individual. He's such a, such a sweetie. And uh, his knowledge of bait. Not you know his knowledge of bait and his the pragmatism he has around carp fishing and presenting bait is uh, is something to uh, is something to behold something to listen to so uh, I'm really looking forward to that really enjoyed the uh, podcast that you guys are all going to listen to shortly um, I've always wanted to fish the Ebro and I've always been intrigued about Team England and winning the win they did on the Ebro and some of the information behind that so. Uh, yeah, and that's all thanks to, to, our, to our next guest. Thanks to Paul. Um, I think you know the yeah, England well, team. Yeah, you know they, uh, they. They. I don't think they could have done it without him. Um, and they all came together for them to win the World Cup. Um, but you'll hear more about that on the next episode. But I think what we'll do, Matt, we'll leave it there. We've been rambling on for quite long enough for our first sort of ramble be- between that before a guest. So isn't it amazing how? So just for everyone that's listening, I'm now late for a work phone call. I'm I'm about eight minutes late for a work phone call. So if 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 any of my bosses from work are listening, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, you and I were like half an hour. We'll do half an hour. We won't put everyone off just yet. We'll do half an hour. And like I was saying earlier, you and I get chatting about carp fishing and. I think that's probably why we do a podcast is just to show we've got something to, to to talk about. Well, I'm hoping they're still listening. They could have switched off like 10 minutes in, into the podcast <laughs> thinking, this is a load of shite, mate. What are we doing? <laughs> if our numbers go down, oh, that's the end of it, isn't it, really? Yeah, well, we'll see. We, we definitely know it's us and not the guests. We can only try. At the end of the day, you know, we're not sponsored. We have no affiliation to any company. We're not professional carp anglers, and uh, we're just two blokes that enjoy carp fishing that are asking the questions that hopefully your seasoned, really good carp fishermen, or you just started up, carp fishing can all take something from this. Yeah, you know we're not we're not professing to be experts. We're just two blokes that love it and are really passionate about it, and uh, we know what we know. And one of the reasons we're doing this is so we can learn a bit more and get a bit more in, inside information from the uh, from the people that know. So. Yeah, it's been a great journey and it's still going. So we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere yet, unfortunately. So we are doing what we do because we enjoy it, and that, yeah, uh, we're that's in one big family. Mate. Shall we bring our guest on? Probably should really, and I probably should go and do this phone call before I get my P forty five. Okay, mate. Yeah, let's bring on Paul. <laughs> And our guest today is Paul Booth. How are you doing, mate? I'm uh, doing fantastic, thanks. How's you, good. 
Yeah, very good, mate. And, and Matt's out there. Good evening, boys. Evening, Paul. Really looking forward to this, mate. I th the Ebro is one of those mythical, magical places with mythical, magical monsters in it. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you got to say about it, mate. Oh, uh, it, it's certainly a place where dreams are made. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm dreaming about it now, mate, and I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great, great pleasure to have you on again for me. That's the Ebro has always been a place that I want to get my rods into. It's again, it's mythical. It's a place where you hear big, big fish come out of on a regular basis. The carp in there seem to grow to humongous proportions, and they seem to be everywhere along the Ebro. I know there's there's some stretches along the Ebro that you can catch some really, really big carp, but we're going to get into that on how you locate these places and your knowledge in, into their fishing. As we do with most guests, Paul, we just like to ask them, how did they got involved in, into fishing? Where did it all start for you? Um, it started when I was probably about eight years old. Um, my neighbour, actually, uh, at the time, I, my parents, were never, my father was never into fishing. It was one of these things. Um, and my neighbour took me and uh, used to take me to a little place in, in Wakefield, I'm a, I'm a Yorkshireman, so uh, it, it was uh, on the lakes and the canals all, all around Wakefield. And what, what decade are we looking at that? Oh dear, um, 70s? Yeah, it must have been back in the 70s, uh, 67, yeah, 75, 76, something like that was when I, I would have started fishing. So carp fishing, I suppose, wasn't in your sights then, or, or was it? No, no. It, back then, it was uh, more match fishing, um, but, uh, ma match course angling, float fishing, ledgering, that sort of thing was was what I was doing back then. Um, obviously, schoolboy matches and things like that in local clubs. Um, the carp fishing didn't probably come until would have been around the late late eighties, early nineties, I should think, before yeah. I got into carp fishing. When was that moment that you got into your carp fishing? I think it, it was, um, I, I moved um, and, and got, my, my parents moved down to Chesham in Buckinghamshire and I got into carp fishing at Tring Reservoirs. So that, that was where I really started uh, my carp fishing. It, it was, I, I went for the tench originally on, uh, on Tring Reservoirs, Marsworth, and um Sorry, Paul, is that in Wakefield? Is it Wakefield area? No, no. Tring is, is down in uh, Buckinghamshire, Hertfordshire, actually. So we, as a family, we moved from Wakefield down to Chesham in Buckinghamshire. Um, and then the fishing carried on. And obviously the, the local places there were, were Tring reservoirs. So uh, that, that's where I started tench fishing mainly and, and a few local little ponds. And then, obviously, the tench fishing progresses on to carp fishing, and, and you just go on from there, really. Yeah, so can you remember that first carp? I, I can, actually, because I forgot to put the bait runner on my reel, and it nearly took the lot in. <laughs> it, it was about nine pounds, the first yeah. carp I had. The first carp, carp fishing. I'd, I'd had odd ones, tench fishing. But the first actual one when I was carp fishing was about nine or ten pounds, and... Um, yeah, I'd forgot to put the bait runner on the reel because that they were all new at the time as well, and uh, the whole lot nearly went in. So that that was quite comical. Yeah, it's a steep learning curve, isn't it, carp fishing? Yeah, it's different because it it was again it was the time all the tackle was changing 
at that time. So the Shimano brought out the bait runners, Daiwa brought out a bait runner, bait the bait and run. So everything tackle was changing. Instead of slackening spools off and things like that, you were you were now flicking different levers and stuff and trying to get used to all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah. So what's your fishing habits now? How are you tackling waters these days? Are you fishing yourself mainly on the rivers or in, in Spain or are you actually finding Spanish lakes? Would you come back, back to the UK for your fishing at all? No, no. I, I tend to, I, if I, I fish the river a lot. Um, obviously with clients during the, the summer and the autumn, it, it's, I don't get much time to fish myself odd days in between client groups. Um, but my, my main fishing is over the winter and, and spring, which I, I love that time of year. There's next to nobody around. You can move around lots of different places, fish lots of different spots. My gear's always in the car. I, I get up in the morning, look out the window and think, right, I'll go. I might even go for four hours. Just take the dog, put the kettle on, make a cup of coffee, sit, read a book, chuck the rods out, dog runs around. Four hours later, I think, right, I've had enough now. And I go home, whether I catch or not, it it doesn't really matter to me. We, you know, I I just enjoy being out on the river, watching the river, uh, different yeah. swims. So that that's most of my fishing is that way. I do fish in Eastern Europe quite a bit. Uh, Hungary. Uh, I was supposed to go next week to a a comp- big competition in Hungary, but obviously with COVID, it's um, it's been cancelled. So that's my uh, that's my birthday treat for to myself i i fish a competition every year in hungary um and another lake in hungary that i fish um that's that's owned by a friend of mine and in romania we fish uh the rivers and some small lakes my my wife's romanian so we spend to spend quite a bit of time over there and um I, i tend to go and fish little pay lakes and stuff like that just to get out and have a little splash about while i'm there and uh, I see you on Facebook. You were in a match. Is that right? Uh, uh, the weekend, yes. Yeah. So I, I fished. I, I got into feeder fishing a couple of years ago. Um, the the local club uh, that I'm in, uh, SDP Caspi, they have a they have a, a summer and a winter league for feeder fishing. And one of the guys invited me. He said, "Come and come and fish it with us." So I haven't really got. I, I didn't have much gear at the time i had an old um fox barbell quiver rod and and a chair and a, and a, a i turned up hammered two bank sticks in for the rod rest and the kick net which really upset everybody mm. um sat sat there with a, a a few maggots and a can of corn and, and and won the match which really upset them um so then it's progressed from there now that i, I did say oh, i'm not going to get stupidly into it i'll just do it for fun um and and as you as you do you you end up buying more and more stuff and when the wife's not looking you add another rod to the collection and, uh, <laughs> now i i fished uh, the the weekend match was actually the aragon uh aragon championships which is the region that i live in aragon i progressed from just going out for a day now into fishing competitions and and Aragon championships and things like that. Um, I actually came second, which is which is quite nice. Well done. That that now progresses you into fishing for Aragon in the national championships. So next week I'm actually going to the other side of Madrid to fish the national championships at Feeder for Aragon. 
which is I actually qualified last year for this one because they they run it a, a year behind everything. So I I qualified on last year's Aragon Championships, but I've actually qualified for next year on this year's Aragon Championships. Oh, so uh, so you're not only fishing for Spain, are you? I I if uh, I, <laughs> I in theory in theory I could if if I do I think if you come in the top three in the nationals, then you you get a place in the Spanish feeder squad. So yeah, in technically. If I do well, then yes, I could end up fishing for Spain. Again, it's, I, I would have to check the, the rules because, um, as, as we'll chat about later, the tie-up with the England squad, I'm not sure if you can fish for two countries. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you fish for one, then, but it's a different discipline, so I'm not sure how, how it would actually work, if it's allowed now or, or things like that. But um, it, it's just... I, I enjoy fishing and to get out and do different types of fishing and stuff is is what you know what what you do as an angler. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about where you actually are? You're you see you're in Casp, the region and the, the area. Where would that sort of be in Spain? The the region is Aragon. The, the well the town is Caspe, um, which is in the region of Zaragoza, which is in the province of Aragon. It's you now it's getting confusing. Um, so, so the, the, the province is Aragon. Yeah. Uh, um, and it, it's basically at the foot of the, you're, you're three hours east, uh, no, sorry, three hours west from Barcelona. Um, okay. and it, it, basically the Ebro runs along the base of the Pyrenees. So all the water that's, all the rain and everything that comes down the Pyrenees, more or less goes into the Ebro and then runs out into the sea. So, uh, so that's where we are. Oh, well, that sounds great. So, how long have you actually been fishing on the Ebro? I first, I've, I've lived here for thirteen years, and I probably fished here for three years before that. So, about sixteen years, I've I've been fishing on the Ebro. Okay, how did that come about? Where did that uh, bug come from? My my ex-wife. Um, was uh, into catfishing. Um, I, I wasn't really into. I loved carp fishing, so we used to fish Claydon, uh, Claydon Manor a lot for the catfish and the, and the carp in there. And then it, it was a natural progression from fishing catfish waters in England, um, where I fished kind of half and half. I'd fish a carp rod and, and one for cats. She'd fish cat rods. And then it was a natural progression. Obviously, everybody wants to go to Spain and, and have a try there. So uh, one year we said, right, come on, let's let's book a trip and uh, ring up and ring around a few companies, um, arrange a trip, and we off we went to Spain to uh, to try it out. Were you successful? Uh, yes. Um, to be fair, I mean, we'll probably talk about this a bit more in detail a bit later, but. Um, the river back then was a totally different river. And certainly when I first came here guiding, if, if you didn't catch a lot of fish, say you catch 20 catfish a day, no problem back then. It, it was, shall we say, kind of so easy. Um, so, yeah, we, we had fish to well, probably 150 pounds, something like that, catfish. And, and carp to over forty pound on that on that first ever trip. Nice. So it's 
it's it's a different river now. It's the same as any any lake, any, any water that is heavily fished for any amount of time. The fishing just gets hard, naturally gets harder and harder and harder. And that that's the natural progression from 16 years ago to now is is that it's it's not the same river that uh, that it was 10, 15 years ago. It, okay. It's a it's a lot more. Uh, you have to be a bit more technical and a bit more um, wise on what what you're doing, basically. Do you get repeat captures on the river? Um, you probably do. Uh, Catfish-wise, it's very hard to tell the difference between one catfish and another. If you're catching 10, 10 catfish a day, um, you wouldn't, unless yeah. you could knew it, Unless it had a specific mark on it or something like that, you would never know that you've caught it. I, I did actually boat fish once um, with eels, and we, we caught a fish. We caught a catfish on an eel on a float. We, we brought the fish into the boat. We unhooked the eel, dropped it over the side, had some pictures with the catfish. We dropped the catfish off the side of the boat. It swam under the boat, grabbed the eel, and went off again. So, <laughs> wow. it, you know, it does happen. And, and yes, there are ones that I've noticed that it, it's only through a particular scar or something like this. With the, with the carp, it's the same sort of thing. They're predominantly common, common carp here. So unless they have a, a particular scale pattern, a, a scar or something like that, it's very hard to know if you've caught the same, the same fish twice. Yeah. Uh, is there any wild carp? I know that's a bit of a loaded question, that. Well, I, I suppose technically they're all wild carp. <laughs> if, you, if you go into some of the smaller rivers that are tributaries, um, there, there's some proper little wild fish there that yeah. have probably nev, never seen a hook ever. Um, and, and fishing with maggot or, or, or a bit of corn or something like that, you, you can pick these up. We, we catch them on the, um, on the feeder as well. Feeder fishing, we get quite a few small carp. Um, but I, I wouldn't say in the main river, um, I wouldn't say that every fish has ever been caught because I doubt that very much. Um, but they, it, I wouldn't particularly call them wild carp as such now. You caught a 57-pound carp. How did that come about? That's a monumental carp for a river. It, it was actually Christmas Eve when I wow. caught it. Um, I, I, my wife, my new wife at the time, she, she used to work in a bar. And leading up to Christmas, she was very busy. So I said, right, I'm going to go fishing every day. And so I, I picked a particular place that I know is known for decent-sized fish. And I'd had a 54 before that. 54 was my biggest before that. Um, and I went up fishing and I fished every day of the week. The first day I, I had another 54. And fishing on my own, I didn't. I just took a picture of it in the sling and thought, well, it's, it's, it's another 54. I'm not going to worry about it too much. Fished the rest of the week and then Christmas Eve came. And I thought, as, as, as men do, I thought, right, I'll, I'll fish half a day and I better go home and find a present for her because, uh, you know, before the shop shut. So I, I went up and, and, and fished uh, this particular swim and uh, had a 57. Um, I had to run around a field stupidly trying to get a phone signal to get somebody to come and take pictures of it. And, uh, and, that, and that was it, Christmas Eve. 
my my Christmas present done. That was perfect. That really is great. And is that somewhere you're gonna you take your clients there? Is that um, a regular uh, spot? It's, it's not a regular spot. I used to go there a lot. Um, it's become very popular with Spanish Spanish anglers now, um, yeah. and and it's very hard to get that swim regularly. They, the clients because of the the way we're baiting and everything, they like to fish in the same swim every day, obviously. Um, and it, it's come the weekends and things like this, it, it just gets mobbed out with people. So I, I tend to stay away from that during the summer months and the, the uh, spring months. And then over the winter, I, I will go back there and fish it, um, I, either with clients if I have them out at that time or, or with, uh, with some friends that I have over here. Okay, so how do you make your decisions on which stretches you've got clients that come in, it's not cheap, I would imagine, to go to the Ebro. You want them to go and have a good time and catch lots of big carp. Do areas dry up? Do you find that you have to keep moving? Do you have to keep reading the river? Or in some way you just know if you keep putting bait in, the, the carp will come? Right. It's, it's um, The river, on average, from spring to autumn, drops by, on average, six metres. It is a river, but this, this particular stretch we're on is more like a lake. There's a dam at Mackenenza, so the water, the water is held back by that. So you're more or less fishing a lake. There's no flow. Um, 90% of the year, there's no flow on the river. But it does vary in height by up to, on average, 6 metres, 12 metres sometimes. Um, I've actually seen it almost dry. Um, so... There are hot spots for certain times of year when the water is at a certain height. So springtime, I would normally fish around Chiprana area because the water's at a good level. The, the fish are normally congregate together, um, ready for getting ready for spawning and things like that. So Chiprana is a good spring sort of area. And then I've got favourite sections that I like to um, fish on a regular basis. So there's one I'm actually fishing now because the, the water's quite low. I, I wouldn't normally go there till September, but because the water's quite low already, I'm, I'm already fishing that spot. Um, and it, it does produce some really good fish as well. Do you have much competition from any other river guides? If there's a spot that's starting to produce big carp, is it a case of getting your towel Doesn't on the bank? Feisty. I mean... Obviously, there's a lot of comp- there, there is a lot of guides um, around Caspi uh, of various nationalities. Quite a few English, Dutch, uh, German, Hungarian, and and obviously everybody doesn't get on with everybody. Um, that's that's just normal. That's that's the way life is. There, there's kind of an unwritten rule that if one guide is fishing a particular swim, then another guide. Doesn't normally won't normally go in that swim. Um, it, it's it's kind of a bit of rapport between the guides that not everybody sticks to it. Um, most of us do, so it, it's kind of kind of like that. That yeah, we we tend to stick to our own areas. Everybody knows this this company fishes this area this time of year. This one fishes this area, and so we tend to stick to our own areas. It does happen. The water levels vary and. People that are upriver then have to come downriver because they've got no water left up there, so they have to move downriver, and and things can get a bit tight and and stuff like that. But most of the time, it, it's not too bad. It's not too bad at all. 
But you can only fish from dusk till dawn, is that right? You have to pack away. You can't night fish on the Ebru. But well, by by in in Aragon, which is our area, our province, you can only fish an hour before sunrise to an hour after sunset. Obviously, depending on the time of year, it varies. Uh, if you go into Catalonia, which is the next region down, uh, Macanenza and below, well, half of Macanenza and below is Catalonia, and you there are stretches in Catalonia that you can night fish. So it, it does vary on on where you are uh, actually fishing on the rivers to whether you can fish twenty four hours. Yeah, and does that produce good fish if you can night fish uh, in these no. areas? <laughs> no, it, 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 when we guide, we I well when I guide, I guide between I, eight o'clock and six o'clock because predominantly that is the best time. Most of the fish become between eight o'clock and six o'clock. I've had clients say, "Oh, I, I want to start earlier. I want to stay later," and, and normally it doesn't produce that many more fish. I I have I have night fished. I've sneaked away and and done night fishing, um, and I've night fished in competitions. And I've I've normally found that an hour before sunlight onwards is, is best better than the night time. Only only in one one ever competition. Um, did we catch all night long and not during the day? Uh, and that's only ever happened once. But the, the normal time is an hour before sunrise, six, six, seven o'clock, it, it kind of goes quiet. And then you might pick the odd fish up just into dark, but it, it's not any amount, not, not, a, I wouldn't say it's a better time, but that's only here in Caspe. Hmm. The strange thing is, if you go down to Macanenza, which is the next town down, which is where all the catfishing started, basically. Mm. All the fishing is done at, in, at night time. There's, there's very few fish come out during the day. The, the best fishing time in Mackenenza is six in the morning till around about nine, ten o'clock, and then from eight o'clock till midnight. And why those is, why is that in that such, such a short space of um span of water i i've got well if you imagine that from the the dam at Macanenza to caspe is about 60 kilometers by river yeah so it, it's quite a we are quite a way away yeah the river below Macanenza or, or at Macanenza because you've got the segre and the ebro yeah that that, that come together there yeah it, it's actually quite shallow water the average depth is probably about 12 feet, 12, 14 feet, something like that. The average depth up here where we are is probably about 40 feet. I think it's got a lot to do with the different heights in water. Yeah. The, obviously, yeah. the light penetration and things like that. We, we have yeah. a lot more deeper water, so the fish will feed more during the day. Down mm. there, they've got next to, next to no uh, water. Mm -hmm. And... It, it becomes a nighttime thing down there. Yeah, I, I'm not I saying you can't, catch, you can't catch during the day because I have caught during the day down there. But um, the predominant, the best times, any guide will tell you the best times down there are first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Amazing. I find it remarkable that, like you're saying, it's 60 kilometres, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, not a massive distance. And um, it can be such different types of fishing. It's uh, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I fished down there with uh, another guide friend of mine, Ed, Ed Brett, uh, mm. in, in the spring. 
uh, well, just after we got out of lockdown, we I went down there, and we we boat fished for carp, uh, which is a, a quite an, an, a normal way of carp fishing down there. Half the river is a kind of a boat channel, which is clear. They do a lot of rowing down there, so they keep keep one half of the river clear. The other half is about a meter deep, meter to meter and a half deep. There's so many fish in that meter and a half of water, it's unbelievable. So you go out in the boat, you 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 get so far, you punt out the rest of the way, tie up to some reeds, and and just fish out into the 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 uh, the meter or meter and a half of water with little boat rods out of the, out the side of the boat. Fantastic way of fishing, and yeah. so explosive, so explosive as well. Uh, you know, fishing thirty yards, the the fish almost jump straight out of the water. It's it's brilliant fishing. Is that carp uh, and cats, buddy? That's that's mainly carp fishing in okay. uh, we like that down in Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. Up up here in Caspi, you, you, most of the carp fishing is I'd say ninety nine percent of the carp fishing is done from the bank. Um, you you don't need to use a boat uh, mm-hmm. for uh, carp fishing up here. We we've got plenty of uh, plenty of shallows you can fish. Uh, from the bank side so it's just different areas and different styles and and it's nice to swap it up a bit for me anyway it's nice to swap it up and see a few friends down there as well we were talking about um you and your wife going out and doing some catfish go catfish fishing and carp fishing on the ebrew yeah because your because your your wife enjoyed it how did you go from having a trip out there and catching a few to being a guide for a company? I, we, we were coming out on a trip and obviously I kept kept watching different forums and, and different things on Facebook and things like that, uh, seeing what was being caught, where it was being caught, things like that. And, and we saw an advert for a, uh, a cook for, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say the company, I don't mind, it's um catfish capers martin mm-hmm. walker unfortunately he's he's passed away now but um and he, he had an advert in one of the forums for a cook in his bar in in caspay so we we emailed him and chatted with him my ex-wife this is that's the job she did she was a, a cook in a in a in a pub in in the uk so we emailed him told him we were coming out he invited us to come and see him and and have a chat with him which we did um on the Saturday, uh, the, the day we arrived, on the Sunday we went to Mackenzie. We fished our weeks fishing, um, sat and chatted about what he'd offered, things like that. Um, on the way back, we called in and, and had another chat with him. On the way back to the airport, said, "Yeah, we're interested in, uh, you know, coming over and her doing this and me being a guide." And he offered us jobs on the spot, uh, and we said, "Right, okay." We'll uh, we'll get home. We'll have a think about it, and we'll we'll get in touch. We we flew home on the Saturday, um, and on the Monday I paid all the bills off. And the following Sunday we got on a flight and come straight to Spain. <laughs> that that was the decision made in two days. Um, I, I put six months' money of mortgage money in the bank. I paid every debt off that I had, um, and I said to the 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 ex-wife as she is now. We'll go and we'll have six months. We'll give it six months. Um, if it don't work, it don't work. We've had a six-month break in in the sun. If it does work, then fine, we'll stay. Um, things didn't work out with me and the ex-wife. Um, 
she stayed a couple of months and, and came home. I stayed here, and um, the rest is history. I've been I've been here ever since. So yeah, good on I, you, mate. That's the story of how I got here. No, you've got to be brave to do something like that. Very brave. You have to leap the faith. That is, that really talk, is. Let's talk about that. Seven day turnaround from job offer to uh, relocating. Yeah, well, I, I, I worked for myself. Um, I had a property maintenance company at the time, so I was self-employed. Um, and so it was easy. I, I finished, before I'd gone on the trip, I'd finished all the jobs off that I had. The, ones, the next ones I had booked, I, I farmed out to uh, friends. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we basically, come on, let's just go for it and, and give it a go. So my, my daughter moved into the house. We packed everything of ours away and put it in one bedroom, boxed it all up, put it in one bedroom, said to my daughter, she's got the run of the house. You try and pay off your gas bill, an electric bill, it's nigh on impossible. They just will not take take your money. It's unbelievable. Um, Credit cards, everything, paid them all off, got rid of it all. Uh, All debts I had, paid all them off. And uh, we said, right, come on, we'll go and have a six-month holiday. Me Me and my... My, my then wife and my son came out. Um, he, he was, what, 12, 13 at the time? He, he loved it. Um, only because he didn't have to go straight to school, which was, uh, he, he had like <laughs> two months of not having to go to school till we figured that side of it out. But, um, and, and basically that was it. We, we, we just packed it all up and went. Did you make any uh, compatriots out there? Were any uh, expats? Did you oh, yeah. tell me yeah, a bit about it, that? It, in in Caspe, there's uh, there's actually quite a big um, British community. Quite a few of them are, are guides, um, or have, or have been guides. Uh, but there's probably about thirty or forty English that that live in uh, Caspe, and we have little regular get-togethers and things like that. So you you make. I actually met a guy that lived four kilometres away from me um, when I got here. Um, he, I lived in Biggleswade at the time, and he, he lived in Sandy, which is the next small town up the up the A1. So we just got chatting to him one day. He, he lived just around the corner, chatting as you do, where you're from, blah blah blah. And he said, "Oh, I'm, I come from Sandy." I went, "Crikey, I come from Biggleswade." And I, he, I said, "I used to fish the airmen up there, the air, the airmen pit." And he said, "I used to have the air, the airfield that was at the end of the airmen." It, you know, it's a small world that, you know, we, I said, yeah. we used to fire boilies up at you out of catapults when you come over in your micro lights. He said, and we used to throw bottles of piss on you. So, <laughs> you, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those. It's, we, and uh, we, we were good friends. They've actually moved to France now. They've retired and moved to France, but um, they had a, a, they had a little company and, uh, and uh, yeah, we, we're still really good friends now. So, Oh, yeah, brilliant. small small world. Yeah, it's a great story. It really is. Um, fortune favors the brave. If we just go back to your clients that are fishing on the river, do you get any clients that are adamant that they want a night fish? Um, I do, but I don't allow it. No, I, I point blankly refuse to let them stay. All, all my through my my trips, um, all my clients are booked in a hotel. They, I would, I personally will stay on the river. And look, if it a certain time, if I have a lot of bookings in in a in a line, say two months worth of bookings and bookings every week for that two months, then I will kind of set up a little camp. So we fish. We've got the same swim, um, and I will personally, or a friend of mine, will stay on the river, but we don't fish. 
to the clients at six o'clock, go back to the hotel every night. Uh, or if they want to stay a bit longer, then, you know, eight o'clock. But they are back in the hotel every single night. I don't let any of my clients stay in the bank. And it, it, it's basically because I've got a, such a good rapport with the local authorities, it's not worth upsetting them um, and getting in their bad books. Because once you upset them once, they're going to be on your case and checking you over and over and over again. And, and it's not worth the hassle, to be honest. I've got a good rapport around the town. Um, and, and I just prefer to have it that way that everybody's nice. I know everybody's in the hotel. They're nice and safe. Um, if the guard had turned up and at, say, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and caught them, for one, they're going to get a massive fine. Two, they could get thrown off the river that night. Three, they could have all their gear, all, all my gear, confiscated. So it, it's not worth, for, for the extra few fish that you might catch, it's not worth the hassle in the long run. And, and also, you're on a fishing holiday. So it's not all and all about fishing. It, we can catch enough fish between eight o'clock and six o'clock that the clients can go back to the hotel, have a shower, have a wander around town, have a decent meal, have a couple of drinks, and then it'd be nice and fresh for the next morning. And there's no point um, going that extra bit and, and 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 trying to put them in bivvies and things like that. It doesn't it doesn't work. I mean, do you think that because France is is still seen as the mecca of carp fishing? It has been for decades because you have the lakes, you, you, you have the night fish. Uh, do you think that that's what's holding the brew back in a way? Because I would imagine a lot of um, maybe a lot of the English or the British anglers, they want that opportunity to be able to night fish to set up the bivy, you know, the, the sort of romanticism of having everything there. Obviously, what you're saying about. Sounds great. You can go out, you can have a few drinks, you can get to the hotel, you can be relaxed, you can have a shower, you can use a proper toilet, everything's really nice. Yeah. But would you think that you would get a lot more clients if you could offer all night trips? Um, you people keep guys could sit up their bivy next to the river. Do yeah. you think that No, I, I do agree with you. I think if if guys if we could put guys in bivvies I think you would get more carp anglers coming. Um, it's it's the thing that stops carp anglers coming to to the Ebro, is the fact that they can't night in in this region they can't night fish. Mm. They can go to Reba Rocker. Um, there's companies down there that do 24 hour fishing. Um, you're in Catalonia. It's a, a totally different set of rules, and and certainly in this area, uh, it, it it is a problem that um, I get a lot of people saying I. I I want to stay in the bank. I want. I know. I say no. Sorry, I I don't do that. It's not. It's not my thing. It's not legal. Mm. Um, they they turn around and say, oh well, we did it last year with so and so, and I said, well, if if you want to do that, then go back with them because I won't do it. It's not worth the hassle. You imagine I, I put people in bivvies, and then the police turn up and they throw everybody off the river. Where, where am I going to put them then? Where where do they go? I I've yeah. got nowhere to put them. So I, I, I've got two guys, uh, and it's the only two I do it with. Um, they love to stay on the river, but they won't fish. Eight o'clock, they'll reel rods in. 
and they they just like to get up in the morning see the sunrise and and they're two of the oldest clients age-wise that i've got that love to do it they and i think they're crazy they there's a hotel room book for them uh nice and comfortable and they they prefer to sleep on a on a bed chair in a bivy and, and watch the sun come up and they they've been out a few times now and they will do this in all weathers and i, and I think you're crazy you, why don't you go back to the hotel but the, i have two clients that do this that and the, the other thing is if you if you put people in bivvies and you say right right guys 10 o'clock you've got to reel in you know for a fact they're not gonna they're not gonna reel in um I, I have I've had it before where you I've rented gear to guys and I've said, right guys, it's a two rod limit. You can't fish more than two rods. And they say, Oh, well, can we have two catfish rods and two cart rods and I'll I'll alternate them. And you know for a fact they're gonna put all four out. You know this for a fact. And I turn up to see them and there's all four rods out. And and you go, Well, sorry guys, you know, if you're not gonna stick to the rules, then you you don't get the gear, I'm gonna take it off you. Um so, it, it, unfortunately, people take take the piss or push push the envelope a little bit too far, and and um, a lot of them you you can't trust them to do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's it's your job, it's your livelihood on the line. So yeah, you're more than well entitled to uh, definitely to yeah. get them rods in. Um, do you know the reasons why they don't allow night fishing on that stretch? I know there's, there's probably a huge can of worms and bylaws. Do they not see, have you had conversations with maybe some of the, the Spaniards over there that they could open up a whole gravy train of tourists to come in and fish more and, and therefore make more money for the economy? Do they think that at all? Um, it, it, it's quite, yes, I've had this conversation over and over again with them. The, the problem is that the infrastructure, um, toilet-wise, is not there. So there are certain places on the river that you would definitely not go into the bushes and trees because basically they're just full of shit, basically. People are staying on the river and they go into the bushes. They don't take a spade or anything or, or a bag or whatever. And, and it's like walking through a minefield. You just wouldn't go into it. And I think that's one of the main reasons why they don't allow it. Um, a lot of the, the river is, is lined with um, orchards and the farmers get really upset when there's obviously piles of toilet roll and, and excrement everywhere, uh, understandably, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so if, if there, there are certain stretches that, we, we've quite often said, well, why don't you open this stretch? Why don't you put a couple of port loos along this, this stretch and then you can charge extra amount of money more for to fish just this stretch? It's easier policed. It's easy for the, the authorities to go and check that everybody's doing the right thing. But it, everything in Spain moves rather slowly um, and, and it takes a long time for them to get on board. The, the other thing is, if you have an idea, you have to, if, as an Englishman, if I go to the, the Federation and say, you need to do this, they'll go, no, no, we're not doing that. But if you make it like it's their idea, then you, you've got to kind of turn it around and, and make them start thinking. And then if it's their idea to do it, they'll do it. Uh, 
a prime example of this is um, the day ticket we charge. They charge here um, in Macanenza. There was always a day ticket. It's, it's about six euros a day. In in this area in Caspe, there never was a day ticket, um, and we said. Speaking to the local clubs, we were saying, look, you're missing a trick here. If you charge a day ticket, then you can do some work with the infrastructure and things like this. And it took four years for them to agree bringing in the day ticket. The stumbling block was who was going to get what proportion of the money that was going to be made in revenue. We actually worked out that they'd lost millions in the four years that they'd been arguing over it. The other thing is that there's so many different authorities. UK is, is kind of controlled by uh, environment agents, National Rivers Authority sort of thing you have in the UK that controls the waterways and things like that. Here, you have about 10 different authorities that have to all agree, plus all the clubs have to agree, plus all the... Uh, police and the guard and things like that, they all have to agree. And the, the big stumbling block with the Cotto is they'd all get in for a meeting, all sit around a big table and they go put a proposal forward and everybody, they go around the table and go, yeah, I agree, yeah, I agree, no, I don't agree. So they go, right, next month we'll have another meeting. So they change some things, they go back in, right, we're going to do this, yeah, I agree, yeah, I agree, and somebody else doesn't agree. And that, that was the big stumbling point. And four years it took to get the Cotto in. Um, and it, it actually, now when now they've seen it actually working, um, it's cleaned up the river um, oh, immensely. Um, there's, there's very little rubbish now. There's bins to put rubbish in. It's policed on a regular basis now where it, it wasn't a regular basis before. Um, so the, the Cotto money has actually brought a lot of good to the river. Okay. So that, that on that permit side, if I let's say I want to go out there and, and go on my own and just want to fish a stretch of the river, will I need a permit to do that? Yes, you you need you need to get a license for the region that you're fishing in. So if you came to me, I would get you an Aragon license, which is like your your yearly rod license. It runs from the day that I get it for a year and it costs about 12, say, let's say 12 euros. Okay. Um, and then you have to get a, a day ticket that costs, it's either six euros a day or 30 euros for a week, seven days. Um, and, and that's basically how much it costs to come here. So you've got 30, 40, 45 euros and you've got yeah. a week's fee. But you could read on your Aragon license, you could repeat as many times as you like in that year. Uh, it's, it's not expensive license wise to actually come out and, and fish here. Yeah, it's just knowing where to go to, to get the carp, really. I suppose you just can't. Can you just chuck your rod in any stretch of the river and, and hope to catch carp? Or is it pretty much like it is over here? You'd have to do some pre baiting to up your chances. Well, there are certain places on the river that are well-known carp spots. Chiprana is a very popular place. Um, the infrastructure is quite good there. Um, all around Caspe itself, they, they, there are well-known spots that are 
um, easy accessible to get to. There's a, the further you go up the river towards Zaragoza, it gets a bit more wilderness, a bit more out in the countryside. Depending on where you decide to go, um, baiting up, I, I would say that you don't have to do. Uh, I, I only ever fish solid bags. If I'm carp fishing, I fish solid bags and that's it. Um, bit of liquid in, bit of oil in the bag, micro pellet, usual setup. Um, I very, very, very rarely bait up a carp. And it, the simple reason is if you put bait in, the catfish will get straight on it. Um, and that's the, the hard part of carp fishing here is that you will hook. If you bait up, you will hook a lot of catfish and probably get, unless you want to play something for an hour, then you're going to get snapped up. Um, so most of my fishing is, is done with solid bags. I might sprinkle a, a couple of odd boilies around or some pellets or things like that, but it, it won't be tightly in a pile to a marker. It will be in, in a massive area just to put odd bits around everywhere. The, the other side of this is baiting up is actually illegal in, in Aragon. In fact, in, in most of Spain. Um, the, the 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 letter of the law actually says you can own, you can fish with hook baits only. Um, so any type if you get caught spawning, you, you you're going to get a fine basically. Why um, is that? I, I I don't know. I've never got to in 13 years of asking. I've never got to the bottom of it. Um, it it's it's a rule that goes back a long way. I I, I think that the the rules that they have in Aragon are 20, 30 years old. And I think the rule book really is not right for modern day fishing. It, it doesn't work with modern day fishing. I, I Personally, I think they should throw the rule book away and rewrite it to, to suit modern day fishing. Um, they, for, for example, I, I go feeder fishing like I did at the weekend, the Aragon Championships. If somebody turned up and, and feeder fished, just by the definition of the name of feeder fishing, you're breaking the law. <laughs> I, I can do it and I can practice doing it because my name is down on a list of people that compete and they have this list of people that compete. I, I do actually know two of my friends that come up from Benidorm. Um, they recently got, well, last October, they got stopped uh, on a small lake by the Garda and they got 600 euro fines each for feeder <laughs> wow. fishing. Um, it, it actually, part of it was because they were feeder fishing, part was because they'd forgotten their license. Um, they'd actually left it at home, but the police could see on the computer that they had a license, but they couldn't, they couldn't produce it there and then. So part of the fine was because they didn't have a license to provide. The other part was for feeder fishing, um, because they're not from, not in any club here that can, that that, that can uh, fish competition, and yeah, they got a six hundred euro fine each. It's a funny world, Spain. I have a brother that lives out there. He's been living out there for the best part of uh, must be thirty five, forty years now, um, and they yeah. do have some backward laws over there. They really do. Yeah. And it's so, like you're saying, it's so money orientated that 
for instance, my brother, he lives in a, in a small village. We used to live in a small village up in the mountains. It's near Barcelona. And um, they needed a new road up uh, up the mountain. So what they did, all the people in the village finally managed to get the money together to, to get the, the president to, to build a new road. Yeah. They're giving the money <laughs> and he done a runner. <laughs> way, yeah. I, I have, we, we've had this around here, to be honest. There's, there's a small place called Chacon. Um, it's actually split. There's Chacon Peninsula de Chacon and there's Claire de Chacon. It's kind of two little uh, communities, but they're right next to each other. And one has got Tarmac Road and then it goes to Dirt Road and, and that goes off to uh, Peninsula de Chacon. Well, all the people that live there have chipped in God knows how many times to have this road put in. But every time the money got spent on something else or it disappears mm-hmm. or... But they, there's there's about a 500-metre section in between the two that nobody will ever do anything with because they say it's your problem and they say it's your problem. It's so crazy, isn't it? You can have tarmac at one end and tarmac at the other and this dirt road in the middle because they won't agree to do it. Yeah. So it, you know, and that's yeah, the same thing. Um, it's bizarre because here. I mean, I mean, going on that that whole toilet thing on on the bank, I'm sure probably not. There's probably sections somewhere <laughs> along the Ebro where they're pumping out sewage, but I'm no, sure there's areas of the Ebro where there's factories, isn't there? And uh, yeah, you've got a big industrial area at um, up near Zaragoza. The chip, the the smaller villages used to pump it all into the um, into the river, but it, I think it's all been stopped now. There was a, a chicken farm. Uh, a chicken processing factory at Tortosa. Um, and everybody used to catfish with chickens because um, all, the, all the waste from the chickens used to go straight into the river. And it was well known that you'd put drumsticks on or half a chicken or whatever and catch catfish. Mm. Um, but again, <laughs> wow. that, that has all been stopped now as well. It's all been cleaned up. So the river's actually really, really clean. It's, 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 it's a really good river at the moment. Good, good. Okay, what we're going to do, Paul, uh, we're going to move on to our first feature. Then we're going to start talking about your involvement with the England team, how that all come about. If you want to give us a Noddy Nightmares. Noddy Nightmares! This is, you, you really had to be there to, to see this, but it's actually a story of a, a guy that nearly drowned. But oh, it, okay. it's quite, it's actually really funny. <laughs> in, 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 a, in a strange way. I hope I never drown on one of your trips, Paul. <laughs> but he did it to himself, and, and you'll see why in a minute. Um, I had a, a group of Hungarian clients come out, and I don't know if you've ever been to Hungary, but they, they, the, the, the traditional drink is palinka. And it, it's basically a... They all make it at home. It's like a bit like moonshine. It, it can, you, know, you can run your car on it, but they like to drink it constantly. So I've got this group of guys out, and one of them's brought his son. He's 18, 19 years old. So they've, they've been, every fishy catch, they have a shot of palinka. So this, this poor lad, he was absolutely wasted. And um, he was getting near the end of the day, and his dad's hooked a fish. And he, he said to me, can I, can I land the fish? And we, we grabbed the fish, the catfish, by the bottom jaw. So I've gone, yeah, okay, no problem. So I'll give him the glove. Anyway, he stood there staring at the water in front of us and the, the catfish is nowhere near swaying around and, and staggering. And, and the, the catfish has come into the bank about 20 metres away up to the left. So I've said, I've tapped him on the shoulder. I've gone, it's up there, look, it's up there. 
off he's gone staggering up the bank. By the time he's got to where the fish was, his dad's pulled it back out and round to in front of him. So we shouted to him to come back, come back. It's down here now. It's down. He hadn't noticed any of this. He's, he's totally wasted. So he's staggered all the way back. The fish is in front of him about a metre out from the bank. He's, he's leant down to grab this fish, gone head first, straight into the river with his arms behind his back. And everybody's cracked up laughing. And there's literally bubbles coming up from this poor kid's face. And his father, everybody's just cracking up laughing. I, I had to walk in in the end, just grab him by the collar and drag him out and, and like, you know, and, and land a fish. And it is, oh, that, that was, we, we got it on video. It was hilarious. But I mean, it is quite a, a, a strange one to have as a, a noddy thing. But yeah, a noddy nightmare for him, that's for sure. That's, yeah. Uh... There are, I mean, there's so many. I should write a book, really, with all the stories and funny things that happen and strange things. But um, another one, um, again, a, a guy. Um, I was fishing up river with a guy called Red Face John and his mate Nigel. Now his mate Nigel couldn't swim. I don't. All mine have something to do with drowning. Funny enough, but um, <laughs> his mate couldn't swim. So he's hooked this catfish and he's playing it, a really good, good sized catfish. And Red Face John, he's a bit of a photog photographer, he's going, walk out of it, walk out of it. Well, the, the bank's really shallow. It's only like up to his knees. And he's going, no, I can't swim. I can't swim. He's going, no, just go on, just walk out of it, walk out of it. I'll get a picture in the water with it. So he's carried on, carried on. And he's got up to about his knees, just above his knees. And I know there's about an 18 inch drop off. That, like a little step down and he's getting further, closer and closer to this little drop-off and all of a sudden he goes straight off the edge of this drop-off underwater like slides underwater the rod sticking up in the air all you can see is the rod up in the air bubbles coming up flapping about and commotion i walk over and i grab him by the collie six foot six this bloke and he's flapping about in the water going mental he's let go of the rod the rod's gone the fish has taken that I've grabbed him by the collar, I pulled, he said, oh, I told you I couldn't swim. I said, stand up, you idiot. And he stood up and they're like, his tackle wasn't even wet, you know. It was that shallow, the water. And he's like, oh, I told you I couldn't swim. I said, it's a metre deep, it's not even a metre deep. What's the problem? Just stand up, man. And uh, I actually, I went out in the boat and I found the rod. I dragged another lead behind, I found the rod and it was 140 pound catfish, but. Um, <laughs> Quality. Wow. It only takes like three inches of water to drown in or something, doesn't it? Two and a half this inches. This is true. Yeah, this, this is. <laughs> we, we do get deaths on the river, unfortunately. Um, not on a regular basis, but there, there have been drownings and uh, accidents on the river. So it, do, it does happen, unfortunately. Oh, uh, dear. I, 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 another one is, uh, I'm gonna, I'll be going for hours now. Uh, another one is we, we've got a little group that we, we all fish together. There's four, four guys we fish together, English guys. And um, it, we, we called it the last of the summer wine group because it's like compo and, and all that lot, all, all fishing. We just, just have a laugh and eat some food. And, and um, Kev, bless him, compo as we call him. He, he, he's not really an angler, but he loves to come and join in. And he, he's got a little bit of gear that we've cobbled together for him. And he, he had an old old pod and a couple of alarms and that. So it, it's gone to cast and this thing's gone about 60 metres up and 20 metres out. 
and he's gone, oh, sod it, leave it there. Uh, we're all laughing at him and, and what have you. Two minutes later, the rod's gone. This thing's gone off. But he, again, he's not put a bait runner or anything on. The pod's gone over. The other rod's all tangled up with it. Everything, Everything's going down the bank. The pod, the two rods and everything are all going down the bank. And uh, so we all run over. We're trying to untangle it. and he, he's Everything's just gone up in the air. And uh, eventually he got it in and it was uh, it was about 35 pound a fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was the biggest fish we caught that weekend. So, <laughs> he had the it, last it, laugh, mate. It, it was just a calamity of errors that just went on and on and on. It, it was a crazy weekend, that one. Crazy mm-hmm. weekend. Oh, they're the they're the best, mate. When you get a few mates together, good old social. You, who yeah. knows what happens, mate? <laughs> <laughs> it's all good fun. It is. Yeah, that's that's great, mate. Thanks for them. You're welcome. Right, we, we're just going to move on to England now. How did you get involved with Mr. Rob Hughes and the boys from the England setup? Well, they, I knew probably three years before the World Championships, that the World Championships was coming to Spain um, because they, they, they arrange it. That's, that, if it's, that's how far in front they have to arrange things. So I already knew it was coming here. Um, a, a client of mine, Martin, Martin Hodgkinson, um, he, he knew Rob quite well and, and met him at one of the shows and said, have a chat with Paul. It, it's going to be around. The, the, all the fishing is around Caspi, so have a chat with Paul. He'll put you in the right spot. Then I get a phone call from Rob, uh, um, and we had a good chat for probably half an hour or so um, about how I can help him out and uh, and the team out and things like this. Uh, can I help with logistics and and all that sort of stuff? I'd actually agreed to help the Israeli team, the South African team, and the American team with logistics and a little bit of knowledge and things like this. So I explained this to Rob, said, look, I have, I'm not going to drop these guys because it's not fair on them. Um, and he, he said, no, I wouldn't want you to. Obviously, you help them, carry on helping them. It's, it's you know, we're all a, a friendly bunch at the end of the day. He, he knew most of the people anyway. Um, so I, we had a little practice. I think Bart, Bart, Harry and Alexi came out probably about two months before the World Championships. And we had a little practice uh, session, um, stayed on the bank, got permissions, stayed on the bank and, and did really well. And then Rob rang me and said, would you be in the team? Would, would, you, would you like to be in the squad itself? Because you, you have a team, but then there's a squad of eight anglers. that Those are the eight that participate, uh, six fishing and two reserves. And he said, would, would you... Uh, be prepared to be in the squad no? and I, I actually said well can I think about it uh, which is probably never had anybody say that before they've probably snapped his hand off before but um, so I had a chat with a few people here um, and rung him back and said yep yep I'd, I'd love to be in this in the squad in the team uh, and that's how it all came about we had a, another practice we had a team practice probably about three weeks, a month before. And that's when I met more of the guys, uh, not everybody, but more of the guys that were in the squad. Um, and we had a chat about tactics. We, we tried a couple of different swims and, and um, 
and places. I obviously met Rob then because I'd never met Rob before either. Um, and, and and that was it, really. That's how I, I got in the squad. Uh, just through... The, the main reason I was in the squad was for my knowledge of the river and, and to help out here. That That's logistics and things like that. That's the main reason I, I was in the squad and I understood, understood that it was never going to progress to other championships. Um, my, my main knowledge is here, so... And, and and that's logistically it, it's a bit of a nightmare um, for me to. Have, I, I obviously being here, I can't be at team meetings. I can't be at things like that. So uh, it, it doesn't make any sense for me not to carry or, or to carry on. Still a chance to represent your country. That's an honour, mate. Yeah, without a doubt. And um, I, I like to think that the bit of knowledge that I gave them helps helped us to win it. So you know that that's. Uh, that, that's what I come away with. I've got my gold medal, so I retired after that. Yeah. So I retired at the top. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant, mate. To win the gold as well, to win that—that's absolutely fantastic. The tactics. What were the discussions you were having? Well, obviously, with the amount of fishing I've done here, um, ex- explaining to the guys that try not to bait too much or try not to bait in a tight area because you will attract the, um, the catfish in. Uh, I used to fish with leg clips and small PVA mesh bags, just hooked on the rigs. That was how I, at the time, I, I, I did 90% of my fishing. Um, obviously, the, the guys uh, are more into solid bag fishing, so the natural progression from that, better for casting, presentation, things like that. So we adapted... Um, over to that style and then and then it was a case of adding more trying to get more attractant in the bag as opposed to spawning too much um and it, and in fact we actually method mixed or or method blasted um more bait out than we did spawning because we we worked out that if you could make the balls up for method blasting with um like um, corn steep liquor, make them into balls, and you could put the same amount. Say, say if you spawned for three hours with method blasting, you could put that out in half an hour. So it was far quicker and better, uh, and we could fish longer without disturbing the swim. If if you understand what I mean, if you're if you're spawning. You, there's a cut-off time when you can bait to in the World Championships, which I believe is 8 o'clock. So we could fish up to half past seven and then method blast a load of balls out, whereas all the other teams would be spawning th- for three hours. And Our thinking was if they're spawning on the left and they're spawning on the right, we've got a nice quiet spot in the middle, we might nick a few more fish. So that, that was the theory behind that one. Uh, we did obviously spawn as well um, at, at, from time to time, but um, majority of it was uh, to start with was method blasting, and the balls you could make the balls up, so some would break down quicker than others. Obviously, pellet when you're pellet fishing, your the the the, the pellets uh, break up, they soak in water, and they break up. So if you spawn for three hours, within three hours. All those pellets you've spawned out are going to be breaking up. 
mm. because of water temperature and things. Whereas if you method blast a load of balls out, you you make them harder, uh, like so many at one one density, so many at another density. So those are going to break down slower over a longer period of time. So you've got more bait in your swim for a longer period of time. So that was one of the theories that we we came up with for that one. Um, the other was uh, trying to get the guys to not fish too far out um, was was a, a, a another problem. A lot of the places you don't have to fish 150 yards. Um, you can you've if you've got a steep drop off, if you drop a rod at the bottom of that drop off 30 meters out, you you could catch a 40 pound fish there. You don't have to go 150 yards to 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 catch a fish. So it, it was trying to get them to understand or explain that, you know, keep that close in spot, just trickle a little bit of bait in there every now and then, a catapult full or something like that, and, and drop a rod on that every now and then. The the guys are so conditioned to fish in a certain way, the competitions they fish in the UK, that it's very hard to break them out of their cycle of, of what they do there. And, and I understand that it's, it's you know that you get um, you, you've spoken to Billy and Jamie, so you you know um, what you what you mean by that constant spawning because you have to do that in those places, but you don't have to do it here. So it's little little things like that where you you can say, obviously we sat and we spoke about the river, um, the certain sections that were going to be pegged. I I obviously know those sections really well. I'd actually echo sounded every single one of them and I had all the depths and everything, the snags that were in them. I had them all marked on charts. So the guys got a hell of a lot of information to start with. Um, I had pictures of every section when it was no water in it and every section when it was full of water. So luckily a couple of years before they, we'd had a, a, a big one, well, not luckily, we'd had, we'd had a drought here and the river was nigh on empty in the in this area so i'd got masses of pictures of all the snags that were out in front of the sections how the river actually laid where the old riverbed was things like this so it, it was explaining that to them uh, where i think they should fish in the swims especially when they'd had the draw how i how i thought they should approach that swim um where did and, england come out in the draw uh, what do you mean in in respect to what? Into into what order? When did they? I mean, how did how did that draw system work? Um, they, oh, it, it's it's quite complicated actually. Oh, okay. You you have Rob would probably explain it better than me, but you have three, three pairs of anglers and you yeah. have three sections: an A section, B section, C section. Well, I think I think I never actually went to the draw because um, only only a couple of people from each team are allowed to go. Um, but they draw one set of numbers. You you draw to see what order the draw is going to be in. So you draw, you take a peg out to see if you're going to be first out of the hat, second out, third out, whatever. Mm. And then when they have that draw, the main draw. They pick out one set of numbers, and that is where where the, a, the, the, the pair in A section are going to fish. 
So they, they get pegged 16, say, and, they, and there's, say, say there's 26 teams. So if England peg, got pegged 16, then they, there was already a formula for where the other two were going to be in their sections. So, um, um, Bart, no, no, it wasn't Bart, was it? It was Jamie, Jamie and Billy got A section, Harry and Alexi got B section, and Neil and Bones got C section. Harry, uh, Harry actually got, Harry and Alexi actually got a blinder of a peg, end, end peg, uh, on a nice drop off, loads of snags out in front of them. They they actually got a blinder and were in the running for individual um, championship at one point. I think they got pipped right at the end, but um, they were right in the running. Um, Bart's one, uh, uh, Neil and Bones was in very deep water, very very deep water, and um, Billy and Jamie were in relatively shallow water. So it, all three pegs were quite different, but um, I, I fished them all, so I knew exactly what what to do with them and everything. Mm. Okay. So, so going going to that method uh, blasting you're talking about, because we we have this conversation on here on a few occasions on the podcast of how the method rig has has gone out of fashion, and I discussed on that on the Adam Penning podcast of use of method balls and how I don't use them and how good they were when I was using them. And pretty much you're telling us here and then that's what won Ditto. what won the world championships. It's a method that we decided just through the we didn't want to have so much commotion on the water through spawning constantly or spawning for two hours right up to the, the whistle. So it it was we we did spawn as well, but uh, Robert Robert probably kill me for giving these secrets away. But um, we decided uh, as a squad because it's a squad decision. Um, it's not Rob doesn't make just make decisions. It's everybody sits down and and chucks their two penneth worth in and 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 goes from there. But it was a squad decision that we could get more bait in quicker. And fish a quieter swim while everybody was making a lot of noise. That that was the main thing behind it. We used pellets. It was all pellet, but it was binded with corn soup liquor or or something like that. Um, and it, it was just for the simple fact that we thought we might be able to nick a few more fish and get the same amount of bait in in in, in a fraction of the time that people would have spent three hours spawning. And that, that, that was the, the, the main thing behind it. it. It wasn't any major tactical advantage, I wouldn't say, um, apart from the fact that the balls would break down at a slower rate because you'd made them harder. So you would have that, that bait in your swim for a longer period. Um, that, that's the only advantage, really, you would gain from it. Did anybody actually use the method rig? Uh, you're not allowed. Oh, you weren't allowed? Oh, okay. Uh, uh, you're not allowed. It has to be lead. Um, it has to be lead, lead and hook, like standard carp fishing. Hair is, that, is that down to the rules of the river or down to the rules of the competition? No, that's the rules. Phipps, Phipps rules says. I oh, never knew that. Never knew it's, that. It, it's international rules. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Why is that? 
I, you know? I don't know. I, I haven't got a clue because it, this, the, Spain, the Spanish um, uh, carp competitions are run from the FIPS rules. Uh, so I already knew this, and, and probably Rob, Rob and the other guys knew because they, they'd fished for um, England before. But um, I, I don't know why you can't method blast or, or method ball, method feeder. Hmm. Well, because it's feeder fishing, I suppose, as opposed to carp fishing. It has to be has to be traditional that's, carp style. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? That really is. I mean, you're thinking... They would, nothing against you firing out balls of ground bait. You could method blast balls of ground bait into your swim, but you can't fish a method feeder or put ground bait around the lead. You can't mould. You, you could probably mould paste. But um, the, the other thing was that the, the rules for that competition were that you weren't allowed to drop leads as well, which had never been a problem before. But on the, rev, on the Ebro, they said you, you can't drop leads. Um, we actually caught other teams dropping leads and, and, and uh, they were reprimanded for it. Had, had, fish, had fish taken off for it. it. You wouldn't believe how backbitey an international it's quite funny looking back on it now but before the competition starts everybody's the best of mates and chatty and obviously you don't talk tactics but everybody's really friendly and you chat and you know people and all this lot the second the competition starts nobody will talk to anybody <laughs> you, you can't they won't talk to anybody it's crazy and if if you're in the top say five um there will be spies for each individual team, other team, sat behind you. And and anything that you slightly do wrong, they will report you. Um, I, I think it was Kazakhstan. There was loads of people mulling around. And it wasn't until the, the, the evening, the presentation meal, Kazakhstan's table was about 40 people. And we're thinking, where the hell did they all come from? <laughs> And it was all these spies they had that were like sat behind everybody or wandering up and down the bank, and because it, the, the the areas are cordoned off, so you have a uh, I think it's um, twenty meters by ten meters. No, it must be more than that. There's a there's a, a certain box size that you have to fish within, and you can't fish out at an angle outside that box. So they will stand on the line of the tape. And watch where your lead goes. If your lead drops an inch outside that line, they will report you. And and it's so backbitey. And then the strange thing is, as soon as the competition, the whistle goes for the end of the competition, everybody's best of mates again. And it, it's the weirdest thing you've ever seen. That uh, you know, I I got on. I helped the South Africans, and I couldn't hardly get them to talk to me during the competition and I'd spent a whole week with them practicing and, and logistically helping them out. And during the competition, they, they won't even talk to me. And it, it, and then the competition finishes and they give me a, 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 a presentation shirt for helping them out. And you think when you, a day ago, you wouldn't even talk to me. Never mind. <laughs> acknowledge, you wouldn't acknowledge me. Never mind anything else. Oh, but it is the weirdest thing you've ever known, ever ever come across, and it it is. Uh, I don't know. Well, is, very there, strange. Is, is there prize money involved in the no, championships? No, there's nothing, nothing, nothing is at there? all. You get you get your medal and the the accolade of being a world champion. 
Um, okay. so, yeah, there's no, there's no money. Obviously, uh, people will progress and get sponsorship deals. And yeah, the, yeah. In, I think the individual, the ones that the two Romanians that won it individually, I think they got sponsored by Shimano or, or something like that because I, I know them. Um, so they, they got, you, you can pick up sponsorship deals and things after, after the fact. Um, but no, there's no, there's no prize money. There's no, um, um, anything, anything like that. It's just, you, you've represented your country. You, you've got, you've got a medal, mm. uh, and you've got the memories to take with it. Wow. That's great. That really is, uh, it's a great insight into that into that competition. Thanks for that, Paul. What we're going to do, we're going to move on to our next feature, which is our quick fire fire feature. And after this, we're going to start talking about a little bit more about the tactics that you might use within the river, within the Ebru, hook baits and, and such like. Right, so it's just quick five questions I'm going to ask you. It's uh, daddy or chips, one or the other. The so original I'll... quick fire five. Yeah, the original quick fire five. Um, I think... Uh, there's been some other companies uh, out there who've been stealing our ideas, but you can't, as Mark Holmes says, you can't put a patent on a good idea. Exactly. <laughs> Quick five five. Uh, first question, fully scaled or leather? Uh, fully scaled. Barbed or barbless? Barbed. Mono or fluoro? Uh, mono. 430s or 140? A 50. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I would actually have to step that up one because we catch so many 30s and okay. 40s. Here. We'll say, we'll think, say, okay, for you, we'll say 440s or 150. I, I'd, I'd go with a 50 still. With a 50. Go. Brilliant. Yep. Okay. Now, I don't know if you're partial to this extremely good bit of um, fashion and fad at the moment. Real yeah. handles, in or out? Uh, I, I, I really don't see the point in has to be out. Definitely out. And do you have many clients to come onto the river and do that? No, because they're using all my gear. So um, very rarely do people bring their own, their own gear. Actually, uh, when I fished with Harry and... Uh, Mark, when we did the film, Christmas special challenge we did, um, I, they, they did fold their handles in, I think, and it just looked very weird to me, very weird. I think Harry folded his in. He might correct me on this, but I'm sure Harry folded them in. And they didn't put the buzz bars on the pod. They just put the, the alarms straight onto the, the, the uprights that hold the buzz bars, so they were very close together. That, that was one of their best ones, that really is, because it's, it's one of the first ones, or the second ones, actually competed against themselves. And uh, Harry got his game face on. Um, Mark was winding him up no end. They were winding each other up no end. Um, I think uh, Mark was, was moaning about his shoulder most of the video. They're like a married couple, them two. They <laughs> bicker and bicker. It's hilarious to watch. Really is hilarious is, to watch. Yeah, the yeah. challenge that, that Mark does with Harry. It's, it, it's very good, very good. Right. Okay, yeah, thanks for that, mate. Um, yeah. Good answers there. Uh, right, now we're just going to move on to to rigs. Now, if I was going to go and fish the Ebru, let's say next week, what rig would you advise me to use to be uh, pulling in some big carp? I, w I would use a bog-standard hair rig. Nothing fussy. May maybe with a rig ring, 
as a kind of a blowback. Um, but none of this D-rig, Zig-rig, uh, yeah, well, not, definitely not a Zig-rig, because I've never known a single person catch on a Zig-rig here. And I have tried, believe me, I have tried. Um, but none of these German rigs, Ronnie rigs, any of this lot, a bog standard um, hair rig is by far the best rig you, you will ever use here. The, the fish are not, it, it's not like fishing a, a UK lake or, uh, yeah, a U, UK lake where the fish are pressured and, and uh, they've seen hooks and things like this. It's not like that. Um, so you don't have to get overcomplicated. Uh, you can, you know, a long shank with a ring on it, blowback, or, or even a short shank with a little ring on it, curved shank. But a bog standard hair rig is, is by far the best. Do you have to worry about the riverbed of silt or, or weed or anything like that? that in this, this area that we're in, that there's actually no weed whatsoever. Um, the, the bottom is predominantly mud, uh, but not majorly soft mud um so if you're fishing solid bag it will lay on the top um if you're fishing uh like a lead clip sort of thing it, it will sink in a little bit but not not majorly um you you can pull it back out quite easily so and what's the weight of, of the lead would you recommend to use i i fish four ounces Three, it, it depends on the time. In the spring, you, you can have a little bit of flow. So you, you might have to, and depending on which part you're fishing, some of the river is quite narrow, say 120 metres wide. And then you get to stretches where I'm fishing um, tomorrow with clients, where it's 600 metres wide. It, depending on what, what time of year you're there and um, which particular stretch you're fishing, Obviously, in a narrow stretch, you're going to have a some sort of flow, uh, whereas in a big, wide 600-meter stretch, you're not going to have any flow whatsoever. Uh, four ounces is normally good. If I can't hold with five, then I'll go somewhere else because it's it's a waste of time anyway. So um, I, I fish a lot of four-ounce inline inline leads. That is my go-to lead. And you'd be using distance leads for that, or would you be using like pair? No, I use a flat pair. I'll make yeah. all my own leads. I find so much lead on the river, it's unbelievable. So I've got mould and I'll make my own four-ounce uh, pair leads. How does, how does your catfish tactics differ from your carp tactics for the, for the listeners uh, that may not have uh, gone catfish fishing before? Okay, the, the basic catfishing is um, anything from, say, say six, six to eight pound test curve rod, roughly. 100 pound braid, mm -hmm. uh, size 3 to 5 hook, and a 150 pound hook link. Uh, three pellets, two pellets, three pellets, four pellets, whatever you decide to use. Uh, and anything up to a kilo of lead, depending on what time of year and what stretch you're fishing, or, or a great big stone. <laughs> um, so say that again. A kilo of lead? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and is that because of the flow in the river or to yeah. yeah no it's just purely for the flow okay just just to hold in but obviously the the drag on on a hundred pound braid is quite high yeah um, so y you have to overcompensate with with lead I, I i must admit i haven't used a kilo for a long time but certainly a pound pound and a half um of lead is is 
is quite a common lead. Um, Cart-wise, obviously, your 15-pound line, 12, 15-pound line, and uh, your, your basic cart fishing gear from the UK will be quite adequate to fish over here. 15-pound line, 4-ounce lead, 3-ounce lead. Um, if you're... If you're boating out your rods, um, which seems to be coming very popular now, if I can't cast to where I want to fish, I'll go somewhere else. If the fish are too far away, then I'll move to somewhere else. There's plenty of places I can move. I, I don't like boating out cart rods. It, for, for me, it's not cart fishing. Um, I know it's becoming very popular now that everybody's using boats. Uh, and I do use the boats for catfish because of the amount of pellet that we actually introduce at a time and, and obviously you can't cast a pound and a half lead or a stone um, but it I prefer to cast my cart rods as opposed to taking them out with a boat and um, so if you're boating out a rod you can afford to put a, a slightly bigger lead on and, mm -hmm. and if you're going 200 meters you want a bigger lead to, to be able to tighten down on it but I, I don't like to do that if I uh, if I can help it, to be honest. So, so what size of the pellets would it be for the catfish? Uh, we use twenty mil pellets, twenty yeah. mil twenty mil Copins pellets or twenty two mil Screttings pellets, halibut pellets. Yeah. Uh, we're putting three pellets on a hair. Uh, the only difference between catfishing and cart fishing is that the 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 rig is a say a meter long. We use a, a, a meter anything up to a meter of hook link. Um, and it's a, a massive, well, not not massive, but a three o to six o hook, um, and the hook link is a lot heavier. You you can actually catch carp on this as well. The carp will actually come into the swim, and you can catch carp on the catfish rods. Um, you tend to drag them in, unfortunately, because you don't realise it's a carp. You think it's a small catfish, so you will actually drag the a thirty pound carp in. And it's not until you get it close it can shit it to carp. You know, take it a bit easy. Um, and so, if you've got and if you've got a kilo of lead on, that's that's not dropping off them leads. No, no, they're not dropping off. Um, I I prefer to use stones to be honest. If if I have to go above twelve ounces lead size, then I would rather use a stone, uh, a big pebble, on an elastic band because then that does fall off and it's just, you actually get a harder fight from a catfish without the lead being there yeah. um, than you do with the lead there because they will follow the, they kind of follow the lead as you're, as you're pulling, as you're playing it and gaining line, that lead is just bouncing along the bottom. So basically they're following behind it. Uh, whereas if you get rid of that stone, it's just you and the fish. Yeah, direct through, and you get a lot better fight that way than you would if you had a lead on. Plus, there's less chance of it snagging. Um, that certain places have very big drop offs, and you will snag if you have a lead on them, then you will snag the lead in the drop off every single time. Even reeling it in uh, with nothing on, you will snag that lead up. So, I, I prefer 90% of my fishing for catfish is done with stones. And you can actually fish for carp with stones as well. If um, if you do decide to boat out carp rods, uh, put a stone on as well. It's better to use braid than mono because you can't get the stone off with mono because it stretches too much. But if you use braid line, 
you can actually strike that stone off. When you strike, the stone will fall off easier. Uh, it's been in the press a lot recently about, um, I think European um, are talking about banning lead in lakes. Uh, it's in discussion, isn't it? I don't know if you've heard yeah. about that. I, I um, did hear in Spain about Spain talking about banning lead. Banning leads. Now there was a guy who's also who's been producing um, stone weight for for a number of years now, and he's been producing them for that very reason because he thinks leads are perhaps not conducive to good practice of fishing. Now is that yep. something that you're seeing anglers using more of because coming more to the fore? It, it's I I haven't seen it so much. Um, pe people use leads for catfishing um predominantly here because it, it's easier to get hold of leads and it um a lot of people don't like using stones they they can fall off if the clients are a, a bit too heavy when they're tightening the line down they they can pull the stone off the band uh, and then you have to go out in the boat again and reposition it and it can be a bit of a pain um but you got you got actual stones on leg on, on actual clips haven't you yeah you can you can get those yeah, and and they would, um, yeah. I suppose you could. It, it goes down to distance, doesn't it? If you're fishing at sixty yeah. yards, you, you know, obviously um, stones are going to be bigger than than the lead alternative. Um, so you you're a little bit clumsy casting with that one. If you're only fishing like 50, 60 yards, then yeah, stone's going to be fine. Um, you wouldn't get it in a PVA bag either. Um, unless the PVA bag's massive, um, so it's, it's just different styles of fishing. I, I can I can see the pros and cons with using stones, um, and and you you could not put a tail rubber on your on your leg clip and and even drop the stone. So it, it's something that maybe in the future um, they do ban the lead, and we, we all have to we all have to. Look at an alternative. Tungsten's another alternative, isn't it? That they they're talking about um, going over to. So uh, I don't know. I, I've not seen it here at the moment. I mean, I, I just prefer it because it's 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 um, a lot less taxing on the catfish gear. If, if you we we I'd fish at say 150 yards catfishing, and it, if the client's got to pull back a pound and a half of lead from 150 yards. 20 times a day without just to rebate then they're knackered just from that so um it's so much easier just to strike a stone off and reel reel an empty empty line back in again uh certainly from those sort of distances anyway oh, definitely definitely what makes the ebro uh, stand out from other rivers around europe why do you think the ebro is somewhere that that carp anglers do want to try and go and catch carp I, I, I mean, one of the things it's two hours away. Uh, it's jumping a flight two hours. You're here. Um, it, it's a well-known spot now. It, it's um, everybody knows that the fish are here, uh, and there's plenty of them. Um, so that the stocking-wise is is um, fantastic. Um, I, I think those are the main main reasons. I mean, it's sunny. Yeah, you've got the climate. Yeah, you've got the climate. Even in the winter, we don't normally get. Although we had to look quite a bit of snow this year, funny enough. But um, you can normally fish all year round. 
Um, it doesn't get overly cold, and as long as you can stand the heat in the summer, then um, you, you've got all year fishing. And it, it, it's just quite an easy place to catch fish. Um, if, if you're sensible with with what you're doing and, and take a little bit of knowledge, don't don't fish it like you would fish an English water. It, it's you know pile a load of bait in and and sit on it. it it's not going to work. You, we had it, going back to the England team. We had a bit of a joke that it was like pub chucking because you weren't fish. You were fishing solid bags and just chucking them out um, to a specific area. But it was kind of like we were just pub chucking to catch the fish, um, and it, it was quite a bit of a joke with between the lads about that. Um, and, and move around a lot. Don't get stuck in one place. Um, obviously, if you caught a fish, you're going a few fish. You're going to go back to the same place. But there's so much river. This river is 928 kilometers, um, and there's carp in all of it. So don't get stuck in one place. Move around a bit. Try new areas. Um, ask around a few people. Some people will tell you. Some people won't. Um, and and just check out the internet about what's going on. There's plenty of forums and bits and pieces about how, how to catch fish here. So it, it's, yeah, that, I, mean, I suppose that's the appeal of it really at the end of the day. And you never know what you're going to catch. That is the, the next thing. Um, you could sit there and the, the first fish you catch could be 10 pound. The next one could be 70 pound. You just never know what's going to pick it up. And that, that's the that's the main appeal to me is is that you know you go fishing and you don't know what's around the corner. What's the biggest catfish and biggest carp that you've had out on one of your tours with your clients? The uh, 102 kilos, so <laughs> 226 pound. 226 pound was the biggest <laughs> catfish, and um, the biggest carp was 68 pounds. Um, that's big for you. Yeah, that, that is a big. It's a big fish for this stretch up yeah, here. What, what is what is the record out of the Ebro on both of them? Uh, the, catfish wise, it's probably about probably two fifty ish, something like that, two fifty six, something, wow. something around that. The, the problem is, I don't hear. You know, I I hear what the English guides and and a few of the Dutch ones are catching, but I don't hear what everybody's catching. So, and and the other thing is that some companies. Uh, measure Dutch anglers, they measure fish. They don't weigh fish. So they could catch a fish that's, say, two metres 40 long, but it might be skinny like a snake. Or they could catch one that's yeah. 220, two metres 20 long and really fat. Mm. So you never really know what... You, you can roughly work it out, but it's not an, a definite... Um, so I would say the, the record is around, for catfish, around the 250, 260 mark. Um, and the record for the carp, I believe, is 76 or 78 pound, which is actually a mirror, funny enough. Um, wow. and mirrors, mirrors are rarer than rocking horse poo on this river, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's like one in a thousand is a mirror. So they're all fully scaled. Um, Mackinens are 
holds a record for the Ebro with, and I believe it's 76 or 78 pounds, something like that. But there's two or three known 70s in Macanenza. Wow, a 70, what was that, 76 or 78, did you say? It's one. It's seventy six yeah. or seventy eight. Oh, okay, so so I mean, either or, mate. I mean, a fully scaled at that it's weight. It's a big I mean, Let's Put it that, that way. Is, that <laughs> that must be a fantastic and the river carp as well. I mean, that probably be immaculate. Yeah. Um, that's an immense fish. Absolutely immense. Okay, we'll finish on that. Thank you very much, Paul. You're more than welcome to give me a shout, and we'll uh, we'll get out and do a bit of fishing. No problem. Brilliant. That'd be much appreciated, Matt. Anything to add? Uh, thank you very much, Paul. It's been absolutely lovely chatting with you, mate. Fascinating. Uh, it's and been I, a pleasure. I hope I get to visit you, visit your few of your stretches one day, mate. Yeah, no problem. Like I said, give us a shout, come out, and we'll uh, we'll have a bit of fun. I'll have one of the two hundred and twenty pounders, please. <laughs> Funny enough, I've caught five two hundred pound fish, and they've all come within a ten day window. Really? Over different over different years. But they've all been within that 10-day window, every single one of them. Well, well, if off, you... off air, you can let me know when that window yeah. is. Uh, <laughs> you, you, got, you got in there before me. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I've got a very quick brain. But mind you, saying that, I couldn't think of anything worse than <laughs> looking into one of them. I'm my, my, my back would be shot to pieces after that, I'm sure. When, when we go off, I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. Oh, brilliant, yeah, brilliant. Cool. All right, mate. It's been a, an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Matt. Thank you to our listeners, and we'll see you on our next episode of Carp Cogs. Mm-hmm.